You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. Yes, I am still alive. This is day five for us out here at FilmQuest. And uh, before I get into it, this show wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be staying in this insane Airbnb without the support of our friends over at Puget Systems. Now, if you are a filmmaker, which you most likely are, most filmmakers and their families are listening to the show. By the way, I apologize for all the F-bombs that we're going to drop on this episode. I've had quite a few filmmakers' moms complaining, but it's the way we do it, so fuck off. Also, if uh, you're a filmmaker and you're looking for a edit machine, let's say you're looking for a brand new computer, Puget Systems builds the best edit machines that I've ever used in my career. Yes, they are PCs, and I know many of you are sort of going, PCs, don't PCs crash, they're unstable. It's kind of bullshit. At this point, all the programs that we use are on both operating systems. What's great about PCs is that they're more affordable, they're upgradable, and what I love about Puget Systems is that there are real people behind the customer support. So if you go to buy a Puget System, go to their website, you can choose a computer based upon the software you're going to use, and then they want to talk to you, unlike Mac. They call you on the phone, you talk about stuff, they figure out who you are, they help you build a machine that is suited. It's a tool that is suited for you. I bought my first Puget System 12 years ago. It's our second computer. We still run with it. Our brand new one we cut, come home on. I had 25 tracks of Arri Alexa, uh, I'm sorry, Arri Alexa Mini LF footage, real time. We also color graded everything in DaVinci Resolve, real time on our Puget System. I can't say enough great stuff. And for all the filmmakers that are on the show, I think Puget Systems is going to have some sort of sweet deal and offer for everybody. So if you guys are semi-interested, I will let you know. Uh, so for those of you at home who aren't filmmakers, too bad you're not cool enough. But Puget System is still there for you. So go to PugetSystems.com, like I said. And uh, I miss you guys. You were supposed to be out here. We had beers last night until 2.30 a.m. You could have been having them with us. So I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. Let's get into it. I'm going to start us with a a track from Terror Syndrome. Let's see here. Hold on. I'm doing Your boy's doing this live today. And here we go. This is a rad one. I've never heard this one before. (laughs) 
That is Terra Syndrome doing, obviously, Halloween. If you guys don't know what that track is, you, you really aren't a horror fan. Hell yeah. Excellent. What a good intro. <laughs> um, all right. So we're here uh, in the space with uh, new filmmakers today. Um, I haven't seen everybody's films yet just because we've been super busy, but I am super excited because I have seen trailers for a lot of them. I haven't seen trailers for years yet, but um, we'll get into that in a sec. Um, uh, Lance is not with us today. Lance is doing the actors casting thing that's happening here at the festival. So uh, he's down uh, doing some sort of uh, performance stuff, uh, which is cool. You know, it's cool. You know, I don't miss him much. I don't miss you, Lance. You know, the show still goes on without you. Uh, probably better. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so we're here with new uh, new filmmakers, new friends. And apparently, I'm not in the fucking club because when everybody showed up, they already know each other. There's already some sort of internal conflicts that are going on, some lifelong battles, some issues. We're going to get into all that stuff. And today is fucking Halloween. So we are going to talk about horror movies. We're going to talk about stuff that we loved when we were growing up as kids. Um, so strap yourselves in for a great episode. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. Who are you and what's your movie? Hello, everyone. My name is Ramon Menon. I made a movie called My Scary Indian Wedding. Uh, do I tell them what it's about? If you want. Sure. It's about a cursed bright Indian bridesmaid who has to track down and marry her soulmate in a few hours <laughs> in order to escape this vengeful demon called the Manglik. That's cool. And it is definitely not a comedy with <laughs> Hugh Grant in it. <laughs> so did you, when you named your movie, did you think that you were going to have to be doing that every time you introduced it? Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, movies that fucking just say the name right up the top. You know, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, Snakes on a Plane, Inside <laughs> Deep Throat 3. We know it's, uh, you know, you just want to know what the fuck it's about. And I feel like I wanted to make a movie where the log line and the title and the tagline are all the same fucking thing. Nice, nice. So and do you deliver, movie. right? Because it's like it comes at night. You go see It Comes at Night and nothing actually comes at night. Does yeah. your film deliver? Well, I, I would like to think so. I'd okay. hope the fuck so. Because, uh, yeah, I, I would say I'm going for the uh, kind of drag me to hell conjuring kind oh, of vibe. So nice. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of The Ring. Yes. I love fucking scary demons with long hair and i was like let's do let's do the indian version of it we haven't nice. seen one of those i'm into it dude we so i first spotted you in a screening and i looked across the room and you were wearing a specific t-shirt and i said this motherfucker knows what's up and what were you wearing what shirt were you wearing it was uh john woo's hard boiled so it was, I was, I'm a big, big fan of Hong Kong cinema. Me Throw too. some fucking doves in there and I'm, you've sold me. Me too. Like rescue a baby in a gunfight. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Go down a staircase holding a fucking baby and a fucking Uzi. <laughs> and, you know, you've, you've got Ramon Menon's fucking support. Where is Chow Yan Fat? I think he's hiding in Hong Kong. I think he's waiting for the killer part two to be announced. And uh, fucking John Woo is being lazy and making those 
shitty Netflix movies instead of getting back to being a motherfucking badass. Exactly. Yeah. Wasn't he? He was like a ballroom dance instructor. I think that was his deal originally. Yeah. I mean, you can see it in you can see it in the movies when when motherfuckers are getting their heads blown off. The ballet work is really coming yeah, dude. through. Yeah, right? dude. All that dance work that he does with the guns and everything, man. Oh, bro. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, like, I'm I'm glad some one motherfucker in the entire room spotted the hard boiled, and you know they knew it wasn't a cooking show for the t-shirt. You know, so. <laughs> I was glad with that. All they do is make eggs. That's yeah, the whole show. <laughs> exactly. I, it was, I had to choose between the killer or hard boiled. I was like, let's. Uh, let's hard boiled is the shit. And yeah. that poster where he's carrying the shotgun and he's got his baby under his arm. Bro, yeah. Dude, come on. That come is, on. That is fucking deadly. All right, we're going to get nerdy. We'll get even more nerdy about this in a second. Let's For move sure. on. Who are you two? What's up? Hi, I'm Sam Fox. I am a writer-director of Fucking Nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an absurdist horror comedy about my infant and my family. They are fucking nuts. And uh, <laughs> this over here. This over here <laughs> is Desiree Staples. I am producing partner of Sam Fox and produced Fucking Nuts. Very fashionable today, by the way. No one can see this, but you look wonderful. I love your hat and oh, love your whole thing. You. Yeah, I like to wear huge hats for podcast interviews. <laughs> yeah, so that way you don't have to wear headphones. It's That's great. right. It gives me great power. <laughs> so I saw the trailer for it. Very Argento, very Sam Raimi in that trailer. All the stuff I love, you know. I think you're going to love our movie. Like, we're kind of in the same sort of world as far as that stuff's concerned. Um, uh, Where did it start for you? Were you like an Argento fan first? Or were Uh, you like, I just want to tell a story about my family and you watch a bunch of horror movies? Like, how did did it play out for you? Well, um, yes. When I saw Suspiria, when I think my sister introduced me to all the horror that I've ever seen and and, um, gave me a deranged mind from a very young age because, Uh uh, well, actually it was my mom who introduced me to Faces of Death when I was five oh, years old. Yeah. <laughs> Hence the title fucking nuts about my family. Um, not the best parent parents. Um, but yeah. So from a very young age, I was just destined to be a horror filmmaker, I guess. Hell yeah. Um, but yeah, when I saw the original Suspiria, it just blew my mind. Um, and I remember thinking like, I need to make a film like this. But um Traditionally, I, I started as a painter. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to be a fine artist and uh, go do art school. And, um, and do me a favor, pull that mic right, ah, right towards you. Okay, there That's, you are. Oh my god, that is so much better. There you are. Hello. There you are. I don't want the audience to miss the sexy voice. I feel like I was born again. Yeah, there wow. it is. Wow, I right. sound so good in my. I've got headphones on, and it's yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. This is great. You should restart that. I think. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're in, we're in, we're okay. in, we're in. So yeah. then, what? Uh, it makes sense that you were a painter just by looking at the visuals and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I used to paint really fucked up shit. Um, my, my family friend said uh, my stuff looked like it was a cry for help, <laughs> which um, no one helped me, sadly. But um, I helped myself. Well, what uh, did you paint? Like, help me? <laughs> With just tears. Um, I used to paint like these like headless or bodiless heads with like on stakes in like mountains and they were really colorful and they were kind of like zombie creature things. But then there was like cactuses and like a dog with a human body eating one of the cactuses, but then eating a person. 
it was just i don't know oh very very adjusted (laughs) yeah like you're very adjusted exactly all right and Uh, so this film is a form of therapy for you no no (laughs) No. um is it a warning (laughs) yeah pretty much yeah it's a warning to my boyfriends um honestly so basically it was the first thing i ever wrote um it was inspired by my experience of um growing up and never being able to bring anyone to my house because mom was like a crazy drug addict alcoholic dad was just psycho Mm -hmm. um grandma was like a pervert that just tried to have sex with everyone i brought over wow um yeah wow yeah grandma was a hoe (laughs) (laughs) and she's proud of it so there's a um, film in the festival about a kid that wants to fuck his grandma. Have you guys seen this one? Interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had him on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what is it called? Oh, God, you're putting me on the spot. God, what lies... Uh, what, what lies... It's not what lies beneath. It's what lies within. Within, yeah, that's yeah. it. I feel like I, I need to meet this filmmaker. <laughs> I think we'd have a lot to talk Probably. about. Probably. <laughs> what lies with grandma? Huh? See, I, I didn't want to fuck my grandma, but grandma wanted to fuck my exes, and, and yeah. Um, anyway... She once, I brought an ex over to uh, to her apartment and she opened the door and she was like not hot at all um, in just a giant Backstreet Boys t-shirt and no pants. Wow. And she was British and she'd be like, hello, so good to see you, Sammy. And no pants. And I was just like, cool. Why am I just seeing Elizabeth Hurley currently <laughs> right now in my head? Definitely not Elizabeth Hurley. <laughs> Definitely not. I'll show you some photos later. Um, it's terrifying. So I, I basically, I did it as a, um, I never, I'm not really a writer. I don't really know what to write about. I just have these like jokes in my head, these funny ideas that are really stupid. And, um, someone was like, write what you know, write about your insane family. And I'm not the type of person who can like make a drama, you know, about my trauma. Um, so I just made something very ridiculous and silly as a huge joke about um, how ridiculous growing up was. I can't wait to get into it more with you. It sounds awesome. <laughs> What's up, man? How's it going? How's it going? What's up? What's up? Um, I'm Kyle Parrott. I'm the writer-director of Robbie Ain't Right No More. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a former Marine turned filmmaker. I've been uh, a set lighting technician for a little over 10 years now and uh, have just been blowing all my savings on making indie movies Mm -hmm. in that time. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, here we are. Former Marine turned filmmaker, huh? Yeah. How does that play into your filmmaking these days? Uh, Well, uh, with this one, it's another case of, you know, write what you know. You know, you hear that a lot and I never really took that advice until now. So I've always been like, are you sure? Are you sure about that? Uh, so were you just insecure about what you knew? Like, like I, because I completely understand, right? So you get started in the business, and you, I assume, saw a bunch of movies that you really liked, and so you wanted to live up to those movies. And I think a lot of young filmmakers try to remake those movies and sort of go through that process, but it never really feels personal, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and so then you find the courage to tell your own story, and then the first time you show it to someone and they go fuck yeah and you go okay this is actually the way i should go right yeah and that's been <clears throat> that's been my experience with watching movies too like especially this festival run my favorite ones have been the ones that feel very personal yeah. uh, unless the ones where a director is like i want to show you that 
I can do a film with a girl in a creepy house with a creepy person in it. Uh, and that's that's it. Uh, and there's a shocking amount of those that yeah, are out there. there. Is, there, uh, is, there is. Living out living out fantasies apparently on on screen. They're know? always better though when there's some, you know, personality attached or is informed by something that, you know, was a part of that person's experience. So, so you started as a lighting technician first? Um well I started as just say I'm happy to be here first. I'll take whatever I can get. So I think my first jobs ended up being in the art department mm-hmm. um, where I was at for about two years. Where I um, where was this? Is this where, where, are you, where are you from? Is it L.A. or is it somewhere else? So this is on the East Coast, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, which has a pretty good film community. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people who aren't there are kind of surprised to hear that. But um we, uh, I call it like a two show town. It's big enough to support like two big productions and some indies at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people from Rough House who did Eastbound and Down and uh, Vice Principals, mm-hmm. Righteous Gensomes, they like pretty much decided to leave LA and just live in Charleston mm-hmm. uh, in like 2015. So all their work has been there. Yeah. Since then. They're and, amazing, uh, man. All that yeah. stuff's really great. And it, what's interesting when you do. Uh, you know, do these productions in these uh, these other places, you get a different vibe, you get a different look, you get a different tone, and especially all the eastbound and down stuff and all that. Yeah, it just absolutely. feels completely different. Yeah, I know what you mean, man, because I started my career back at home in Boston. So I was directing in Boston and ran a production company in Boston for like 17 years, 18 years, and did most of our stuff there. Um, and then, you know, we moved to Los Angeles five months before COVID. So we were transplanted there and it's cool we dig it it's a cool spot but you know it's definitely different and i think i i still find a lot more inspiration when i leave the city and uh, go to like these little places and towns where people are super excited that you're there and they they welcome you in and they're like please shoot at our house as opposed to los angeles where they're just like it's fucking nine thousand dollars for you to talk to me today yeah well once a grip crew has been through the house a couple times it you know (laughs) it it turns into the houses from la yeah yeah they're like please don't get the fuck out of my yard (laughs) (laughs) i had a i was doing a production years ago and uh the the owner came up to me like halfway through the shoot he's like your people are like locusts (laughs) that's a good uh analogy yeah they're they're everywhere (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. so well cool Um, man cool and so is uh what so yeah have you been directing for a while is this your first film is like where are you at with this um, as soon as I got out of the Marines, I started, you know, making indie movies, but on the scale of like maxing out my $500, my first credit card, you know, <laughs> and thinking that, you know, we could do something with that. But, you know, that was just kind of like a crushing defeat. Um, so, <clears throat> but through that, you know, I met people who worked in the actual business and started getting my first jobs, uh, you know, getting a paycheck. So, yeah, yeah. and that's really helped. And it was, probably the best film school I could get too. Yep. Um, That's been the consensus, man. Everybody that I've talked to on the show, even before this, they've all, even the people that have gone to film school and then they're still paying off those ridiculous loans that they have. It's always the first day on set, first time I'm on set, it's the best film school you could ever have because you just learn by experience and you get to look around and see how people fuck things up and you make notes and you don't do the same thing. Yeah, you know? and I'm always shocked by you know the amount of people who come out of somewhere like 
NYU or, you know, somewhere where they're $200,000 in debt and no one taught them how to make coffee the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like, I think that should be day one, like in 101. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell that I'm talking to a lighting technician. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, man, because I'm the same way. I started, when I started, I w- went to school for directing and then immediately realized, this was back in like 1999, I re- immediately realized that uh, if I wanted to make movies, all the DPs at that time, it was still kind of film. There were these old crusty fuckers that wouldn't do anything for a young kid. So I had to teach myself that. So I learned cinematography and digital cinematography. And then I worked as a cinematographer and all my buddies were grips and gaffers and all that. And so you sort of come up through the, what I would call the blue collar side of filmmaking. And um, you sort of learn uh, empathy and you have an understanding for the people that work with you and work around you. And you know how long things take. And I think it makes you a better director if you do that. Those have been my favorite kinds of bosses to work for. Yep. Rather than stand around and watch as someone performs like an hour setup or something on that, you know, yeah. and then they go, what that takes. Oh, wait a minute. I think we should shoot it on this side. Yeah. Where there's no yeah. power, no generator, yeah. no nothing. Exactly. Uh, it looks cool over there. Uh, hey guys, can we just fucking do that in like five minutes? Get yeah. to it. I didn't notice it at the scout when it was sunny out, but now that it's starting out, wow, it looks really cool over there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I just had um, Oren Sofer on the show right before we came here. He was one of the cinematographers for The Creator. And we were talking about that. We were talking about like um, how uh, certain above-the-line folks have no idea and concept of what it takes to do things. I mean, just fucking getting a stand-up with an 18K on a stand, it's like life-threatening for people, you know what I mean? And Yeah, because they didn't want to fork out the money to rent a Roadrunner. Yeah, exactly, so no. exactly. Or like, the, the poor asshole that's stuck up... Hazardous a, condition now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, or the poor asshole that's stuck up in a scissor lift peeing in a bucket, making sure that the light doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Our business is... There's often a big separation between above and below the line. Um, yeah. And uh, because... It'd be the, nice to you know, blend those lines. More. You can, man. I do yeah. in all my sets. There's no reason not to. I, I joke around like when we make a feature film and it gets big and we go on like the tonight show, I'm bringing my gaffer with me and be like, he's the, the yeah. I take this all guy. the credit for this guy's fucking work, man. Yeah. You this know? guy taught me probably most of what I know. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> but, dude. Yeah. Exactly, man. Yeah. Yeah. We can get nerdy about that too. Well, I'm excited to have everybody here. I'm actually coming out of my hangover, which is good. So we're, Yay. Yay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 clearing. The clouds are clearing. Time to start drinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So is it did, did everybody just roll into town? How how long have you been, how long have you guys been here? I've been here for the last two days and it's uh it's interesting. It's a, I, I, this is the third time I've been to Film Quest. So this is three years in a row, and I think this is probably gonna be the last time because you guys are gonna be like Enough of this motherfucker. Let's just get his ass out of here. We're not going to do Oh, it. you're saying that they're not going to let you back yeah, in. They'll yeah, they'll be like, yeah. th- third time yeah. was enough. You know, I, we should have learned by the third time. Yeah, so they yeah. said, no more. No more of this fucking guy. So, well, you know, you manifest, you know, <laughs> you manifest what you want in life. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so it's been, it's been an interesting two days. Yeah. In the one bar in town. I've spent a lot of time over there. The 
yeah, the yeah. ABGs with the green, little green door. So then you're mm. consider, you're considered one of the uh, UDs, is what we call them, the undesirables. Yes, totally, very very much. <laughs> it, the, a, a reservoir brownie is what I even call it locally. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sure, I'll join the UDs as well. Yeah, yeah. welcome to the UDs, brother. Thank you, sir. Yeah, we were in there last night. You guys were in the bar last night, right? We were. We were also in the undesirable. I think we saw you over in the corner. I was over with the Scots and the the the, the dudes okay. that did lure and we got fucking hammered early yesterday we were barbecuing here and drinking way too much and they're like let's go to the bar i'm like fuck all right let's do it <laughs> yeah we've been trying to be good so we got here yesterday yeah it's all, not a competition ramon but it's also my third film quest so we'll see who continues the streak i was very into that last night at my table i was the one that had come to the most film quests let me just table. note let me just note to the audience that can't see you guys you're leaning across going this isn't a competition but i just see it like yeah. like just flowing from the i feel like this is a, a fucking boxing poster right yeah here. i told you we have a lot of beef between we these do. filmmakers oh my god oh yeah sam, sam hates me there is a lot of history here i will say the genre film circuit is my favorite and i come from the comedy world before yep. i started working with sam yep. so actually my first series here was called the influencer and it was an episodic pilot about a girl who wants to be an agent to like the stars and it's actually a YouTube agency for like YouTube stars. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I have to think. Oh, it's ICM, but it's not the real ICM. It's Internet <laughs> Celebrity Moguls. But anyway, so that taught me about FilmQuest and then that's how we're here now is because I was like, Sam, you got to submit your film to FilmQuest. Then we fell in love with it. That Acid premiered here last year. And now here we are with fucking nuts. It seems like everybody just wants to make movies to come back to these festivals. Correct. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. So how'd you get, so why producing for you? What's the deal? Well, I'm also an actress, mm -hmm. actress first. And I learned, I think similar to what Kyle was saying, you know, being in it for a couple of years, acting and doing any role that I could get that wasn't quite right, but like, you know, just wanting to be on set. I was like, oh, I need to like actually make stories myself. Mm -hmm. And me and Sam both kind of jived on women behaving badly is kind of our through line, <laughs> I would say, right? And then also just pushing the envelope of what people have seen. So we produced a short film together in 2019 called Circus Person, which was Britt Lauer's directorial debut, and you would know her from Severance. Mm -hmm. And we formed a collective with her and Alex Nell, who also choreographed Bad Acid. Um, and then we've just been making movies together ever since. So I'll act and produce, or I'll just produce if I like it enough. And what kind of producer are you? Are you on the ground? Are you trying to make things happen? Are you uh, putting the pieces together? Or are you on, on, on location? A little like, bit of everything. I yeah. like to be very involved. Um, mm -hmm. And the creative process is very important. But yeah, me and Sam are producing partners now. So anything each of us do, which has been really fun, because once again, Sam's got the horror knowledge and the horror history, and I come from Northwestern in Chicago, and mm -hmm. the jokes, ideally, mm -hmm. um, hopefully, or else we're really in trouble. And everything we do, I think there's definitely, even though it's dark and fucked up and twisted, hopefully, the fucking nuts is hilarious. I'm usually like, yeah, I mean, the, the, the title's yeah. fucking nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a fun combo we do, but yes, I like to do everything, but mostly creative producing. I mean, I love like putting the cast together. Mm -hmm having these ideas right and then how do we do it on a budget that mm -hmm. is how do we make feasible? it work how yeah. do we make it work yeah yeah um but yeah everything from development and cast and story don't give me the money i'm not a line producer because i'll just spend it all <laughs> but 
I, I like putting, and I love connecting people. That's been my favorite thing too. That's important, man. That's a big part of everything. It's just who you know and how, you know, how do you make those connections work? And then how do you find the people that people want to look at and how do you put them on the screen? It's that whole well, thing. it's just finding people that, and I think, because is everyone from LA or based in LA? Mm-hmm. Or, you, or no, you're a student mm-hmm. in Charleston? I love Vice Principals, by the way, like on that whole team. But there's a lot of people that talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. Like that say, there's a lot of like, we want to do this. I want to do this movie. But what I do find on the genre circuit too, it's like, no, 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 we're doing this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you have to put in the work, which is, it's a very amazing but thankless industry at times, right? Like, you most don't have time. a nine to five. Yeah, yeah most it's of the like, time. All it does is shit on you. Right, That's what, right. basically what it does. So yeah. you just have to work, work, you know, it, there's just no end. If you're passionate about it, it's 24-7 and it's emotional, yep. you know, um, as soon as you, as, as long as it doesn't feel like work, because we work all that, dude. I'm supposed to be here enjoying the film festival, and I'm working every fucking day. This right. is work, you know what I mean? But it's fun, and so, yeah, I'm with you. The business is, it's an evil little ex. <laughs> you know, how long have you been here? Oh, um, oh God, we came right after a midnight screening at Nightmares in Columbus. That was, we got here Sunday morning. So did you go to all? So did you go to all the screenings at Nightmares? Not all of them. It's easy to get burnt out watching too many movies. Um, uh, did you see ours? Because I didn't. I, I haven't talked to anybody that's. that's I don't know if I saw yours. We saw. I tried to see as many midnight and thriller blocks as I could because we were in a thriller block. I wanted to see like what we were not competing against. Mm-hmm. And uh, midnights are always my favorite genre to see at mm-hmm. uh, festivals, except for. Um, Sam's film it really pissed me off I, I wanted to walk out halfway through but you know well explain I, fuck you I, yeah <laughs> so explain to the audience what a midnight's is um it's something that starts a certain way and I think every good script should have you know a twist or catch the audience off guard but a midnight movie just sticks to wanting to completely throw you for one, you know, like just, just grab you by the shoulders and, and throw you down whatever, whatever tunnel or abyss that, you know, is in the yeah. filmmaker's mind. Yeah. Uh, and that's what makes those movies fun. Yeah. Cause that's usually where people are screaming and laughing and having a right, blast. And right. Yelling. Yeah, yeah. 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 I love that. Me too, man. Me too. There's nothing better. Like I'm a big fan uh, of making movies for audiences and I, I love, 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 love watching movies with people and being in that space and feeling it. We, we have, we're fortunate enough at this place to have a screening room downstairs, which we'll show you guys. And we were, we were screening some of the stuff and that's how we see some of the shorts ahead of time. And we were watching three or four pieces last night, and I pulled up one of my old films that I hadn't seen in years, this movie 12 Cam, the Russian movie that I've been promoting forever. And I watched it for the first time with a bunch of filmmakers last night, and I was just like, and I was just so fucking jazzed up, you know, and it just feels so good. And that's, that's why I make movies. It's just to see it with people. It's like throwing a party, you know? It's like you have this really fun little concentrated emotional event. And if you do it well, everybody fucking loves it. And you feel like a million bucks. Do you guys feel the same way? Yeah, I feel like it's it's like a drug addiction kind yeah. of. It's pretty much like you you have you, you have your pe- the part when you're like I'm never going to do it again. You know? Yeah. I, I'm I'm I've done. I I've had my fix and I've had the high and then the next goddamn time we forget and you're like, "Oh, let's let's just go buy another baggie." That's, that's all right. <laughs> we'll do yeah. it again. And then yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a constant cycle and but you do get you know, when you go go out on the genre circuit, especially with, uh, with in film festivals and stuff where you see with different audiences every time, 
getting that reaction gets you that high. And then you're like, okay, now we got to spend eight months to get this high again. Again, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just pop out another one because like, like I was saying, we, you know, we are in competition with Desiree right here because uh, we did three, mo- three movies in a row in two and a half years. It was, one was called The Pay, uh, which was a social media monster movie mm-hmm. that played at FilmQuest two years ago. Then last year we had a movie called Once Upon a Time in a Haunted House, which was about an undocumented immigrant that purposely goes and works for a ghost at a haunted house. <laughs> and uh, now the Scary Indian Wedding, which is um, a, a movie about a Japanese man who grows old in a very sad way. Um, <laughs> so, like, you can see that there's a pattern. There's an addiction to this. I gotta say, man, uh, I haven't seen any of your movies yet, but your sales pitch on all of them makes me very happy. Like, all of that makes me very happy. Thank you, thank you. I, I, I practice in front of the mirror every day. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it, 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 it's, definitely, it's definitely an addiction. And I feel like, um, you know, when, when I met Sam at um, Brooklyn, she told me, you're, you're that fucking guy who I saw at Film Quest a long time ago, and I never wanted to say hello because you looked like such a pompous prick. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, thank you. That was the best compliment I've got the whole damn time. And then, but she's like, you know what? I still hate you, but I will hang around with you. And then so we got drunk and fucking had in, in, and did a lot of karaoke in Brooklyn. So, and, and I did say, yeah, Sam, you are fucking nuts. And, and she also co-produced a, another movie called Ride Baby Ride, which was in our block in Brooklyn. And honestly, that fucking block was just banger. Like, the, it, was, it was actually fucking scary. And, you know, the Ride Baby Ride, the one, other movie she produced... You know, Titan or Titan or whatever the mm-hmm. fuck. Yeah. yeah. That's what Titan wanted to be. Yeah, and didn't follow through. Yeah, it yeah, didn't yeah. follow through. And Ride Baby Ride is that movie. So I would say, you know, this is the the, the addiction. We come back to get fucking insulted and, and put through the ringer again. I can't wait to see your movie. Uh, was Robbie, Robbie, Robbie's wrong? Robbie goes wrong. That's close enough. Uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, 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 I had a lot of black label last night. It's not sequel. Worn Robbie off. goes wrong. Yeah, if you, you're like, oh, that's the Robbie movie. I, you might be at the right one. I don't know if there's any other Robbie movies of this year's film quest. Yeah, uh, yeah. Robbie ain't right no more. Ro- Robbie ain't right no more. You see that? That's got more poet, poet. You know, it's more poetic than my fucking version of it. I gotta so. say, dude, just the way your voice sounds in the microphone, I feel like you should have a glass of cognac in your yeah. hand. Right here. You need to do some voiceover. You need to do some ads. I do um, have a flask. He just fucking, pulled out you know, his flask. I, I do the have a flask. Of flask. Cognac. I, yeah. That's how. I, as I was standing outside, I said, "You know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna hit hit this flask and then walk in." <laughs> so I was like, that's "Okay." Flask. I was like, "You know, I'm never gonna At be 10 on." Ten in the morning on Halloween. <laughs> Yeah, that's perfect. No doubt. They, they perfect. say they say hair of the dog. I think it's fucking hair of the werewolf at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm taking the whole dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. T- take it. It's American fucking werewolf right here. So, yeah. are you gonna do another film for next year for year it, four? Yes, it's uh, it's called Brown Face. <laughs> I'm in. No, no that's, sorry, that's a fucking joke. That's a party joke. <laughs> Is this okay, a I'm Justin Trudeau a... biopic? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a serious filmmaker. Okay. I want to be Akira Kurosawa. <laughs> well, we're also going to do a fourth film, so get ready. Oh my God. It's so on, what, baby. It's on. I am so new to this, all right? So for years, I've been directing for a while, but I haven't done film festival stuff in years. It's been well, probably over 10 years, and so this was the first film that we sort of came back into the circuit. And holy shit, Like the, there is such a community here of filmmakers that are 
excited literally to make movies just to come back to this festival like what is wrong with you people <laughs> we're unhinged it's <laughs> a good we, question we like one ounce pours out. of alcohol yeah Duh. <laughs> and we're in utah so it's yeah. very inspiring it's very yeah. inspiring man like it's like the, this is the fun that i feel like is missing from Hollywood right now. And it, I feel like most of the shit that we're watching is Silicon Valley processed stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, there isn't the human fun connection. And, and for quite some time, I was, I think, in a dark place because I didn't think that there was still a horror community like this. And it's, I think, if anything, being at this festival, it's sort of eye-opening again to realize like, yes, this is a community and this is people that want to be together. And uh, you know, I'm I'm envious. I submitted to Brooklyn and that shit. I fucking should have got in there with you guys. You know what I mean? And I'm happy to have been at Nightmares. I wish I could have gone to Nightmares. Um, it's cool, man. Do you feel like you're hanging out with your peers? You feel like you're hanging out with people that love the art form? Man, I'm happy to know you guys, man. I'm happy to know you guys. Just wait for the rest of the day, and then you'll be like, oh, except for that fucking Yeah, I feel like you're being real nice to me. I feel like we're going to be in the same block, and then you're going to take out a fucking gun, and I'm going to take out a knife. No, no. We're, and we're going to just jump in, over the seats at each other. In India, we don't have guns. We have rocks. We throw rocks. We do it the old-fashioned <laughs> way. Well, here in America, Rock. we have Big guns. Boulder. So I guess I guess who's winning that fucking fight, right? <laughs> hey, man, it's real easy to go get one. Yeah. 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 You know, two blocks, uh, any direction. Yeah. I'm, go, I'm going to Google Maps this right away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's alcohol. carrying a gun over here. Like, <laughs> I thought a flask was bad enough. The fucking Uzi. Yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah. Under my yeah. hat. Yeah. Why not? We're we're in Provo. So, yeah. uh, well, all right. So, um, let's ask this question about uh, it's it's you know what? Let's just get into it. Fuck this. It's Halloween, right? It's Halloween. We obviously are all horror fans, correct? Is there a film? No, no, no. What is the film scene that you saw way too young that changed you? Uh, I'll start because I... Like besides, I your, besides your grandma walking around well, without no, pants no, no. on. <laughs> no, you said films, though. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, well, so, yeah, I told you Faces of Death, but actually it was um, my, my mom used to play, I don't know why it was all the time, but it felt like all the time, it was Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. And... Um, so I was basically raised off of on that movie, and I remember just thinking it was the coolest thing in the world. Um, sadly, I learned later that the rape scene with the monster was a rape scene, but I was like, this psychedelic scene with this monster, mm -hmm. and it's like attacking this woman. Um, and yeah, it was just the, the imagery, the colors, the um, excitement, and I don't think I was ever scared. I was scared in... Um, Oh God, like Chucky, you know? Yeah. But like the psychological horrors, I guess, from a really, you don't really know what's going on. Right. How old were you around this time? Five. Five. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there was an interesting conversation that was on Mark Maron's podcast, and he was talking about this, and he was talking about deliverance. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that he went and saw deliverance when he was a kid, and all he knew is he was like a bunch of these guys were wrestling in the mud in their underpants, and they would do the squeal by the squeal like a pig thing. Because he didn't have any context. There's no context to what sexually that they were doing. But the stuff that really fucked with him was when, uh, was it Burt Reynolds gets shot through the fucking chest with an arrow and anything that's sharp. It seems like it's ingrained in us as human beings, like the fear of death with sharp objects or monsters or things that are going to eat you. Um, but the sexual stuff just sort of goes over everybody's heads until they 
unfortunately find some sort of avenue to figure out what the fuck that actually means. Do you agree with this? Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think we all have an innate fear of, um, if at a very young age you learn what death is. But even so, I remember thinking like, you don't know the consequences of death. So when I would see a lot of these movies, it wasn't necessarily, it was kind of like cool. Like when kids play, you know, violent video games. Um, and yeah, I just, I feel like I didn't stand a chance. Like I was destined to make horror movies be- because <laughs> of my my brain just being destroyed at such a young age what was it in rosemary's baby that that really freaked you out was it the demon rape scene at the end I, no i actually it? i was never scared of rosemary's baby um what what scared me there was a film called fear i don't know if you remember that it was with um reese witherspoon and and mark, mark Wahlberg. mark Wahlberg. and so i used to love that film and um in the same time around like six years old and my sister used to um, watch it with me and I would always say like, I don't want to see the dog get its head cut off and be put through the doggy door. I don't like that scene. And we lived on a farm so we had lots of animals and, um, and she would always be like, all right, leave the room. And she'd be like, Sam, it's over, come back in. And she'd paused it right on that part and then she would play it, the bitch. Um, that, and you know what's crazy is Pet Cemetery also really terrorized me. Zelda and Pet Cemetery. Yeah. I actually just found a drawing that I did when I was about six years old of... Uh, pet cemetery of this guy sawing a dog in half and uh my teacher wrote on it um too scary we need to talk to your parents (laughs) so i mean i'm like that yeah i was that kid that you know you were worried about but i I turned out okay so you had a connection to animals then right and so like seeing any sort of violence towards animals really freaked you out yeah i i still don't like that yeah yeah, surprisingly most audiences don't right you can kill a hundred fucking people on screen maybe even kill a kid but you kill a dog and you're fucked kill a baby i'm fine with killing a baby do not kill a dog yeah 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 you You can kill a cat I'm okay with that. Uh, well, it's because they're little bastards. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, they're assholes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what about you? What's the scene that uh, shaped you? Um, yeah, I think Zelda from Pet Cemetery probably scarred me the most as a child. Uh, I mean, because that's just, that's just horrifying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She was under my bed for like weeks after that and everywhere. Uh, um, and then I think I saw Clockwork Orange way too young. Oh, God. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that freaked me out, too. That started my just fear of people more than anything else, you know, because I've heard of things like rape and, you know, break-in, stuff like that. But, you know, when you see that for the first time, especially, you know, as a kid, it's like watching a snuff film. Yeah. yeah. And it's, like, lit, like, very flat. And, you know, it feels, yeah, like you're watching this happen. Uh, Even though it's so, watching it now is so absurd and, like, staged and just kind of like fun as an adult just to see how you know yeah that all plays out but but i feel like uh, the the tone of that movie scared me more than anything else because it just you i always talk about how movies smell a certain way like you watch a film and you feel like you can smell it and that one just smells fucking strange like well oh yeah like it's very fucking it's scarily strange because once you get past that, the real fear is like the society you live in. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what they just decide to do about, uh, you know, anything they want, really. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, and I, I was very confused about a lot of what was happening when I saw that movie when I was younger. Yeah, I'm like, too. these guys are weird, and they got canes, and they have fucking like ball covers on the outside of their outfits, and they're walking around. But it was the fucking, 
it's it's you know Stanley Kubrick doing Stanley Kubrick and his yeah. whole weird world. Yeah, it just gets in your veins almost. Like, yeah, you have to shower like multiple times after you watch that yeah. fucking movie. You're pretty much Alex after he's shown all this, you know, yeah. super violent footage. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he's got some of that in The Shining. Like he pulls that yeah. into The Shining where you're in there and it's music, it's his choice of music that's really yeah. odd. And that one scared me too as a kid. The uh, Shining? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that movie. What scared me the most about it is that I have photos. I look like the kid. So when I was a, when I was younger, he was me. Like riding through that space. So that was super creepy. Um, and then uh, I'll get to mine in a minute. What about you? Um, it was, the reason I'm kind of a messed up human being is thanks to my dad because he, he was my, um, he's like my Pauline Kale. You know? like when I was young, I'd be just wandering into the room and then I'd see... A couple of these things that we he'd be watching, like one of the one of those toughest ones that I walked into was the chainsaw scene in uh, Scarface, mm. and I was like, "What the fuck? Like, is he watching?" <laughs> and, but but I'm like, "This is good because the camera like turns away from the guy who's getting the chainsaw. I mean, uh, his arm cut off, and just the blood spot sputtering on the guy's face. I was like, "Ooh, they're not showing that chainsaw, but." I'm feeling every little bit of it. I'd, how how old were you at this point? I was like fucking three, three, <laughs> four. And you're like, I really enjoy that cinematic I, I, camera I, I, move. I, I, that's what, yeah, that's what I, I. That's the first thing I noticed. I'm like, oh, look how that they're not showing the fucking whatever that loud machine is. You know? Yeah, and, yeah. And it's just yeah. this blood, and that really got me. And I felt the other scene that really got me was I wandered in probably very close, uh, probably the next day, and he was watching uh, the Amityville Horror, and mm -hmm. there was a scene where the priest gets locked in the bathroom and all those uh, flies and shit are coming. And I was like, again, very fucking strange. But, mm -hmm. And then I, I sat through the rest of it. And, and then he was telling me about, he gave me the whole history of the Amityville Horror House and all that stuff. I was like, you know what? I think there's a pattern here. We're both sick fucks, you know? So, and I felt like that was, that, and then the last one, I felt again, very close was uh, the next day, I think probably, was the changeling. And, Oh my Fucking god. George C. Scott comes back home and he's he's just gotten rid of this ball or something. And then he comes back home and then he sees this ball coming down the stairs because he he's he's supposed to be like a grieving father in, yeah, yeah. in the changeling. And I was just like Jesus, a fucking ball coming down the stairs is way creepier than any goddamn other image that I've seen. And I felt like ever since then, it's informed the kind of stuff that I want to make. It's just like, what what are you going to hold off camera? What are yeah. you going to show? Yep. And I felt like those three scenes or and, and those three movies really fucked me up in, in, a, in a good way, I would say. Yeah. So I have to say, you know, thank you, Dad. You, you, you did your job well. <laughs> I want to add, I think the reason why we all like making these movies and coming to these film festivals and seeing each other in battle is because we are all sick fucks. Yeah, yeah. And so we found our place where we fit in and we can be sick fucks without feeling um, embarrassed yep. uh, about our weird perversions. So yeah, we're, we're each other's people. I'm right there with you guys. I, I think for me, if I had to think back on what movies it was, I think the first one that really fucked me up, I remember my parents and my uncle came over one night and he, it was VHS and he came over and he's like, uh, I've got this movie and my parents looked at it and they go, you can't watch it. And so they sent me upstairs and they watched it downstairs. They finished the film and they went upstairs to have dinner and I snuck downstairs and put this fucking thing right in. And it was a movie called Dreamscape with, uh, what is it, Dennis Quaid is in it. And the idea with the movie was that they were psychics and they had the ability to go 
to sleep and go into someone else's dream. So it's kind of inception before inception. And there was this one bit where the president of the United States is in this place. And one of the kids that is uh, a psychic is, is fucked up and he's going to kill the president. So he goes to sleep and uh, goes into the president's dream and creates like this sort of post-apocalyptic landscape where they're on this train and the train's riding through. And he confronts this cop and they, they cast like this really nice guy to be this cop. And he walks up to them and suddenly, this was before I saw Nightmare on Elm Street, suddenly he has knives that come out of his, his fingers and he fucking pushes his hand into this guy's chest and pulls out this beating heart, right? And I was a kid watching this and what really fucked me up, it wasn't like the knives coming out of his hands, super cool, right? Yeah. The, uh, you know, pulling a heart out of his chest, really great. But it was when he held it up in front of the guy and the guy had to look at his own heart as he just like crushed it in his hands. And I remember being a kid going, ooh, I shouldn't have, uh, I shouldn't have watched this at all. This was a fucking mistake. <laughs> and it was also the, the ability to go in and out of dreams. And so I think that movie, as cheesy as that movie is, that movie has really shaped my career as a director because I'm completely convinced that as human beings, we've, we've like investigated everything. We've gone to the deepest depths of the fucking ocean. We know what's in the, in the dark closets. We kind of know what's in space right now. There's a YouTube video for each and every one of these things to sort of like debunk something. But what we don't know much about is what goes on in our own brains and that, that landscape of, of, uh, of mental health and that landscape of, uh, of nightmares. And we're a culture right now that is just self-medicating instead of trying to figure out what's going on with that. And I think it's some of the most terrifying landscape to play around in because of dreamscape. That movie fucked me up for that reason. Totally. So, totally. Yeah. I totally agree. Like the mind, the mind is the most like, you know, it's the most enigmatic part of anything. This is the thing that we just don't understand. And I feel yeah. like, yeah, that the fact that you guys each, like, you know, you were talking about how you really like, I mean, Clockwork Orange messed you up, and that is the mindfuck of a movie. It's like pop art to the, the hilt for the first 20 minutes, and then fucking the rest of however long it is, is just a giant mindfuck. And I was just like, okay, yeah. And it, it, you just, you know, the imagery mixed with the mind, I feel like. And it fucks you up, man. Yeah, Anytime I saw footage does. of like Andy Warhol parties, I'm like, they're gonna fuck each other. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's gonna be some crazy shit that happens in here because of the because of that yeah. movie, you know. And that's what you. And then even later, when you talk about Eyes Wide Shut and the whole like, Whoa, and the whole fucking orgy party with the masks and stuff, it's all that vibe yeah. that he sets for that. And you're like, I don't know if I want to hang out with the elite. You know <laughs> <Yeah>. what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's right yeah, in the back of your head. Uh, I mean, watching Full Metal Jacket, as like I watched it a lot before going into the Marines. Mm -hmm. I am a sick fuck for going into the Marines after you know, knowing about that. <laughs> and then watching it after, it's amazing how many things, you know, he got right, like never being a part of that community at all. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> a lot of people hate the second half of the movie. And I think that's where it just shit gets really real yeah, you know dude, yeah and, uh, maybe that's why they hate it yeah because uh, it's not your typical war movie where everything is just kind of glorified and rah, rah, we're killing the germans mm -hmm. uh america mm -hmm. we're the best mm -hmm. uh, and, uh yeah i think it rubbed people the wrong way to see you know war presented that way how'd uh, you end up in the marines um you know i was in a small town in rural south carolina i was one of those kids who you know i'd 
came of age in the mid 2000s. I was deeply affected by 9/11. My I was in a military family. My dad immediately like deployed overseas, you know, within weeks after that happening. So, you know, I felt like uh for one, I should, you know, go in as soon as I got out. But also, too, he was in the Air Force. And I'm like, I'm going to one up that little bitch, that Air Force guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's the classic, uh, I have to one up my father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Did, He's still it? more badass than me. I, you know, I failed. Uh, right. uh, I want to make him think that I didn't. Right. Yeah. Was, how was the experience for you? Um, you know, it was mostly horrible, but, uh, but the good times are, you know, very memorable and I don't know. And the people you meet are great too, especially going in the infantry. Um, mm-hmm. I thought I was a weirdo cause I scored high on all the tests and they're like, you could do whatever you want. And I'm like, I want to, you know, I want to do that. I, I want to, uh, you know, grab the rifle and, you know, go in the infantry. But, uh, do you, do you when re- I got there, uh, I met a bunch of other people like me, uh, like a couple like college dropouts too, you know, and you know, people are just kind of into the romanticism of it. If there is that, uh, right. I don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. For some people, I think there is, I mean, that's how else do you convince people to go pick up a gun and go run out there and go after people? Well, for people who grew up in the two thousands, a lot of them, uh, we weren't friends, but it was that commercial where the guy's fighting the dragon, uh, and they're like, hell yeah, Bo. Somebody let me go do this. I remember that commercial. Yeah. I remember that commercial. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I'm, gonna I'm go. signing up. <laughs> I'm going to go yeah. live a video yeah, game. We had life. some of those. We weren't all, you know, <laughs> it wasn't all about philosophy for everyone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so do, how is the experience? And do you, do you, do you regret it? Or do you, is it a good part of your life? Like, how do you feel about it afterwards? Um, I don't regret it because I met, you know, a lot of people in different parts of the world that, you know, growing up, I had these opinions about that were just drilled into my head uh, from, you know, the town I grew up in and media. And then you get there and you're like, oh, these are other human beings uh, and we're kind of similar. Yeah. Like more similar than different. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful, dude. You know, and being able to get out of because, you know, this country, it's very much controlled, you know, and everything that we that we take as the Bible is stuff that is essentially sold to us through corporations and all that other bullshit. But then we also feel like that we're superior with everything that we do. And then you start to go hang out with other people and you're like, Oh, you just want to eat fucking have a house over your head. Just like I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 That's cool, man. And you, and you made it right. So you made it out of it. That's good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. yeah, and it like it, was it traumatic in any way? Are you sort of processing trauma, or was it a positive experience for you? I had a harder time coming back here after, like, I deployed direct first in Afghanistan, uh, and you know, I was in like the most like rural and just kind of out there parts. Uh, and then coming back to America was the more shocking thing to me. I'm like, how come? You know, like you go from you're like pumping well water out of the ground to, you know, do your laundry and like you're doing, you're patrolling for like, you're doing like two six hour combat patrols a day and like digging bombs out of the ground. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, in line at Starbucks and hearing people talk about the fucking Kardashians. Uh, and you're like, what the fuck? Where am I? <laughs> yeah. 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 This is why people hate us. I think I hate us. What, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, it's cra- well, it's crazy, right? Because there must have been like a, a certain factor of fear that you had to deal with all the time over there, right? 
Yeah, it always, and this isn't just me, it's, I mean, humans are very adaptable. Um, yeah, you're like scared shitless uh, your first few weeks somewhere, and then it just all becomes normal. Yeah. I mean, you see what people are dealing with in the news, like overseas, especially now, but that's like their reality. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. It's crazy. And then that's, your re- that's how you live your life. And you're trying to just sort of like, oh, there's, there's gunfire over there. I'm going to go this way, you know? It's, and then you, all that sort of chemical reprogramming that happens in your brain starts to run these different pathways in your brain. So it makes sense why when you come back and someone's talking about whether or not the skims on Kim are interesting, that you're yeah. just like, fuck, what the fuck is wrong? Because your brain is so used to dealing with that adrenaline rush, whether or not it was in the front of your consciousness or was just running in the background all the time oh yeah i mean it's like being on some hardcore drugs for months and months and months and all of a sudden you're cold turkey and you know yeah. you're keeping up with the kardashians like i said yeah yeah, yeah. i watch that sh- i watch that show all the time <laughs> you laugh yeah. um all right well hold on we're gonna stop this for a sec i gotta do some mid-roll ad read stick with me let me see if I can get this in. Well, here. I want to talk about stamps.com. <laughs> Dumb. <And> <laughs> they don't sponsor the show. All right, let's okay. be real about it. But All right. we can get I'll in. let my sponsors know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hold on. Let me start up a track here. Let's see. Let's see. All right, little code electro. This is Night of the Wolves for Halloween. Okay, you know the deal. This is the part of the show where I uh, give thanks to the men and women that make it possible. And I'm not talking about you at home because you guys really don't do fucking anything. You don't pay for the show, right? The only reason why we're here is because of our sponsors. And uh, I love them. And uh, we're going to get into it. So stick around. And also, you guys can chime in if you guys want to be a part of this too. It's fine. Um, First up, our friends over at Fujifilm. Now, if you've been listening to the show, you've heard our Fujifilm Creator Series. And what's so special about Fujifilm besides their equipment, and we'll get into that in a second, it's the fact that they support filmmakers and they finance short films. Seeing how many people look up. Uh-huh. See some of the eyes perked up. Fujifilm actually finances short films. They actually support filmmakers. Uh, unlike a lot of those other companies out there that just send out free gear expecting you to do an unboxing video, they understand the power of working with young filmmakers and developing talent. And for a lot of us, it's very hard to find financing, especially for short films. Do you guys all feel that same way? Yes. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So that's a big deal. And if you can find a company out there that will help support you, it doesn't come with a lot of strings and you can make some really great work. I don't know, man. That's one of the reasons why I fell in love with them as a company. Uh, I love their cameras. We have been using their GFX 100S for years at this point as a still camera, but they just released a brand new GFX 102, which is a large format camera, and it competes with some of the bigger boys out there. It's very affordable, but it competes with the Arri Alexas. It competes with the Reds. And it's a great camera to have at home as your B-cam or as your daily shooting camera. Because when you do a production and you need a second camera or you need to do those cutaways, oftentimes you can't afford or you can't get it from the rental house. It's great to have that camera. And like I said, the GFX 102, you should definitely look into it. Now, while we're talking about it, remember, 
click the links in the description of this episode. Each one of those links is a trackable link so that the sponsors don't think I'm lying to them when I say that there's a bunch of people listening to the show. I know you're sitting at home in your underpants on Instagram right now. Just go and click down there, click on a link and help us stay up and help us stay going. Um, so Fujifilm, check them out. Also supporting the show are friends over at Black Magic. Black Magic Design. I have been talking about this all week. We did all of our color grading in DaVinci Resolve. I think it was 18.5 is the new version right now. We did all of our compositing in Resolve. Do you guys do color grading in Resolve? Yes. Yes. Do, does anybody edit in Resolve right now? Yeah. How is it for you? I haven't done the. I haven't cut in it yet. Um, it's great. It was very quick to get used to it, and after editing a bunch of projects and that, uh, after trying to do one in Premiere, I was like, I, 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 yeah, yeah. Sorry to trash Premiere, but so you just you're you're on board. You figured out the language of Resolve, and you're yeah, yeah. It's quick to learn, and there's some like quality of life improvements in Resolve that aren't in, aren't present in what any of the mean? other ones. That what, it's hard what, do to, what do you mean quality of life? Um, there's just, and I don't even know if I can name any specifics just cause I've been using it so long, but like the way you sync footage is incredibly yes. easy in it. Yes. Uh, that I remember coming from Final Cut 7, then Premiere and all that. There were always like third party programs. I'm sure it's not like this now, but there's always like, this is going to be a pain in the ass and uh, yeah. you're going to want to give up. Uh, but, uh, generally they still kind of are like this whole syncing thing is kind of a crapshoot where you're like maybe it'll sync maybe it won't sync and then i have to arrange the clips a certain way in the timeline and then try to get them to sync that way especially if you're doing music videos you got multiple performance takes yeah it can be a pain in the balls it, it's very easy to ingest and organize footage um i'm not at the point where i can afford an assistant editor yet so mm -hmm. while it's me i'd prefer mm -hmm. resolve or not and it is nice to work with a colorist and they can start pu putting looks in while you're still cutting. Yeah. And you could see like what you're liking very early on. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, that, that's what I feel the advantage is like you can immediately tell what the movie is going to look like pretty quickly so that you can. It's almost like that also informs the editing and then going yep. back and forth versus like going from like a premiere to... Right, you get into resolve. picture lock and then you have to stay in picture lock. Yes, and, yeah. exactly. You, you want your movie to look good while you're editing if you can yeah. versus like it looking, eh, it looks, uh, I'm, I'm going to shoot this fucking DP for, yeah. <laughs> for this awful look and then you're like, no, he actually did a great job. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think that it's very, it's it's intuitive like he was saying. Yeah, yeah. 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 And on, just so I don't sound like a Da Vinci shill. Um, I've <laughs> I've done uh, the sound on my projects in Fairlight and yeah. a bunch of recent projects, but in this one, there's so many different tracks that uh, it just couldn't handle it. That may have been my computer, but uh, I had to send the project to Pro Tools and do all the sound there. Yeah. Uh, well, you should uh, get yourself a PG it, system. Uh, like yeah, I think Fairlight Fairlight will be there at a certain point. They're definitely going in the right direction, but yeah, yeah, they're definitely trying to take over the industry right now. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of interesting stuff. I haven't made the jump to it as an editor yet, but I still use it as a color grade, as a color grading, and all that kind of thing. And eventually, I'll do the jump. And a lot of those new AI tools that they're in integrating, as far as like syncing is concerned, but also like transcribing and all that's pretty fucking interesting. Yeah, and stuff. they have some scary good noise reduction tools, both on the visual and, and in sound. They just came out with last year. Like, yeah, like, you know, compete with some of the shit you pay a ton of money for. Yeah. Just to have. Yeah. And the, the, the basic programs for free. 
So you can get the basic program yeah. and, and go from there. I, you eventually will have to buy it, though, because if you're going to start doing stuff in 4K, you're going to start doing stuff in larger format. I think you still need to... For all those noise reduction tools, you have to buy the one that's like $350. Yep. But, I mean, Pro Tools is much more expensive. Yeah, it's super cheap. Yeah. And, like, how much is an Adobe Creative Suite subscription? Dude, it's like it's $50 a month. Yeah. It's like 600 yeah. and change. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, yeah. Check them out. Black Magic. What a great ad read that was for those guys. Um, and also supporting the show are our friends over at Boca Rentals. If you are in Los Angeles, uh, is my favorite rental house in town. It is the place to go uh, if you are a young filmmaker or a young, photo- uh, a young cinematographer because they love and support us. They understand that we are the future of cinema and they understand that uh, helping us out, often giving us discounts, being there for us is important and they do so. And if you uh, aren't in Los Angeles or Las Vegas, that's where their offices are, I strongly recommend that you go and make relationships with your local rental house. Go down there before you have a project, hang out with them, have beers with them, become friends with them, and you'll get all sorts of great things from a rental house. They'll teach you stuff, you'll get your hands on the new gear, all the stuff that your clients want you to shoot with, and you'll get access to some of the best lenses in the marketplace, especially at Boca. Boca has uh, a ridiculous collection of anamorphic lenses that are amazing and gorgeous. So if you haven't done so yet, go to bocarentals.com, check them out on Instagram, Boca Rentals. We love them, thank you guys. Um, and finally, finally, obviously, you know, the show is sponsored by Puget Systems. Make sure you get yourself a Puget Systems computer. It's going to change your life. But for those of you who are newcomers to the show, a lot of you are coming in from FilmQuest, a lot of filmmakers. Hi, 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 hi. I'll meet you at some point. Um, but if you are new to the show and you want to go back, you should probably go back and listen to episode one and just listen to all the episodes. But if you're lazy, you can go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There, I've curated the episodes by subject material. So if you want to listen to the chef's episodes, you want to listen to my California firefighter episodes, if you want to listen to the director episodes, they're all up there organized for your ease. You know what I mean? So go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and check it out. All right, hold on. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Hi, guys. Hello. 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 Thanks for the uh, ad read pitch in there, man. Yeah, it was unintentional. Man. <laughs> I like to be honest. About things. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Well, let's let's continue down this rabbit hole with uh, with horror movies and stuff. So is there um, a specific director? Is there a specific filmmaker that? Uh, inspires you or that you hope to one day uh, achieve the same level of status that they do? Alfred Hitchcock. Really? I mean, and it's a sounds like a pompous goddamn thing to say, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, it does. No. <laughs> I, I would... Uh, I mean, if, if there's one guy... I mean, it, and it's really one movie that I want to try to beat, but it'll never happen, but I'm going to try, is Psycho, because, I mean... The thing that he did with Psycho, with the fact that it came out in 1960, it's black and white. They changed the character halfway through. It starts off as a movie about a girl on the run with some money, meets some guy in a motel, and then you then you do this passing the baton thing. From that point, it goes from 
the audience liking, I mean, empathizing with Marion, the Janet Lee, to empathizing with Norman when he's dumping the car. Yeah, dude. Empathizing with the detective, Arbogast, uh, Martin Balsam. Yeah. Then going to the sister, and then you hit him with a fucking twist ending, and all in black and white, and it's a movie about a transvestite at the end of it in 1960, uh, and you call it Psycho. I was just like... What the fuck? I mean, yeah. I wish I grew up in that era just to have seen it. That was the one movie I wish I saw in the theater yeah. at that time. And I feel like no one, people have tried. I think Barbarian came very close with mm. this whole splitting of the narrative. They tried it in Hostel. I don't think it was as successful mm. in Hostel. No. But uh, the psycho switch is something that I'm a big fan of and hopefully one day can do. And then the other guy, I think, is uh, Brian De Palma with, mm-hmm. with all the Dress to Kill sisters and all that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very inspired by Brian De Palma. He did a Blowout, too, right? Yeah, Blowout. So good. Blowout, blowout is, is so good. Absolutely. If you guys are listening haven't seen Blowout, you've got to go see it. That's uh, Travolta, uh-huh. right? And he plays a... Sound recordist. Sound recordist. So good. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's kind of like Blow Up. But uh, yes, but it's it's De Palma's version of Blow Up, but it's it's way better. Fuck that Antonioni yeah. shit. If you um, <laughs> if you haven't seen Sisters, oh Sisters, yeah. So, yeah, Sisters is great. Yeah. Dress to Kill, yeah. I think Dress to Kill is so underrated. I think it's. it's I believe Dress to Kill and Blow Up are playing at American Cinematheque like this day, next week Ooh. in L.A. So I'm nice. gonna check that out. We'll, we'll have some competition over there. We'll go, we'll go <laughs> and say some, another Film Quest reunion. <laughs> I love this. It's Instead of being like, hey, how about we go hang out? You're like, we'll have some competition. (laughs) We'll go get in a fight. How about we go get in a fight? We'll get to blow out and I'll get all the seats. (laughs) (laughs) So you can't watch it. And the last one, of course, I have to mention, I love this guy, James Wan. Like, I I think he's an absolute master. And, you know, the Scary Indian Wedding is in that vein. I'm trying to ape that guy's style. More than anything else, I feel like The Conjuring, Insidious, I think those are two absolute masterpieces yeah i agree man i think he's he's he is a classic he feels like he's paying tribute to all the classic uh, directors with all his work that he's doing i mean you know minus aquaman and all that but oh yeah and yeah. i mean we don't count that shit yeah, yeah. but but the set pieces i don't think anybody does set pieces like james wan he knows how to time it when to bring the sound in when to it's it, it when to take the sound out it's audience reaction. It's like, I feel like you when you make a horror movie, if you hit them hard with a scare, it's like, it's the most satisfying reaction. And versus like, it's like doing a comedy where, where there's no laugh out loud moments. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I feel like the jump scare is an art form. It, it gets pissed on a lot, but. Uh, yeah, I think it's, a, and I talk about this all the time. I think it's a, I think it's a tool. And I think, uh, like I think it, what happens is is that uh, a really talented filmmaker comes along and develops a tool or a new a new piece of the cinema language, and it's successful, right? You, you screen it and like you know Hitchcock figuring out how to do the jump scares the right way, and then you know some money people and producers show up in the space and they go, oh fuck yeah, that's it, man. They figure out they they think it's a formula, they find that formula, and then they you know like overstuff a fucking cheeseburger, you know, and they just like hey jump scare, jump scares, jump scares. So then when you're a uh, young filmmaker and you're trying to go in there you have these uh these notes coming from studios that are like there needs to be more jump scares there needs to be a jump scare at this point and you go you're starting to make it into a fucking formula and guess what formulas do they make them predictable and a, a predictable movie is not a fucking scary movie yeah 
you know so i think they're tools and i love jump scares i would use it as a tool but you it's like fucking found footage movies where you sort of hit a point where you go this should be an element of the film this shouldn't be the entire fucking film because it starts to fall apart after a while yeah you want to be unpredictable as possible i mean like hereditary did it really well where they hit it and saved the jump scares you know so even if you do one good jump scare the entire time i think you've sold me yeah Mm -hmm. yeah for me i think it's like tone first so it's all about building that tone. Everything that we were talking about with, uh, you know, um, Kubrick, tone, tone, tone. And if you, I think that's one of the hardest things. Do you guys agree? It's one of the hardest things to try to figure out is how to set a, a tone, especially from like mid, like second one in a film. Absolutely. And to keep it throughout. I mean, that's what's difficult is, you know, if it, uh, if the tone changes throughout and it's not perfectly crafted, then it's not scary anymore. Yeah. You know, and that's what I think is difficult when you're shooting something for weeks or a yeah. month or longer than that is how do you keep it consistent the whole time? And when you're shooting out of order, it's like it's so important the tone throughout. And then especially if you have some comedy involved or some other layers involved, yeah, yeah, that's that's huge too. Yeah, that's a, it's a lot of work to, to try to manage all that stuff. Do you guys have any? Uh, do you guys have any go to? We all have our toolboxes of stuff, right? Do you guys have any go-to tricks that you do to set tone in your movies? I I feel like it's um, you want the way I do it at least is hit it hard in terms of either big musical opening like because I'm a big uh, Sergio Leone fan. I feel like those movies would be nothing without the Ennio Morricone stuff. Mm-hmm. So I kind of go with that tone where like you you do a big musical hit to start it and then either put some drones and some shit like how David Lynch does, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, that that Badalamente music would be nothing without the tone that they've got. Like, whatever it is, whatever Alan Splett did on uh, Eraserhead. Oh, my God. Like, that kind of stuff. I, I love that stuff. For me, that kind of oppressive, where it's kind of getting into the subconscious, like, again, what you were saying about the uh, Clockwork Orange, you can almost, it, it, it messes with your mind. Mm-hmm. And the, the sound, I feel, is so key to set the tone. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can do all these great drone shots and have a cool like off-kilter camera setting, but I do feel the sound is like super key. I completely agree with you. Horror movies are nothing without sound. I can't edit my horror movies without putting sound effects in in my, in my first pass of an edit. Because otherwise, it's just like, here's some asshole walking down a hallway. It doesn't mean anything to me. Not until you put sound on it. How about you? Do you get a go-to trick bag for setting up your tone? Um, not not that I was consciously aware of, but as, as we were talking, I was thinking about it. And um, a lot of my films are kind of based in a uh, uh, other world. Um, so it's kind of a, a, not necessarily a fairy tale or a land of make-belief, but it's a, a land where anything is possible. And um, without that being the premise of the film. So... What I tend to do is in the opening scene, I have some sort of element of the strange and unusual. So in fucking nuts, you start on this wide of a really creepy house and this, you know, rabid squirrel pops up into the frame and it's a squirrel puppet. And that kind of lets you know, (laughs) that lets you know upon the opening shot that we are in a... um, we are in a world of make-believe and you don't need to take anything seriously. I'm about to, uh, you know show you some things that you can you can suspend your uh your disbelief, disbelief. for a yeah, second yeah, yeah. i love that 
I can't wait to see that, actually. I have something to add. It's not just a squirrel puppet, but a squirrel puppet with lasers that can burn through anything. <laughs> so that's that's very important. Um, but to add to that, it's similar to what Ramon was saying, and to um, talk up Sam Fox in this film for a second, um, the music, I think, is huge in all the work that we do. And you work so intimately with Scratch Massive and Sebastian that from the first second of the film you'll find your whole body is like oh this is going to be epic and mm-hmm. I think it has it gives you tales of the crypt as well mm-hmm. like you're saying immediately it's like fantasy and mm-hmm. like you are on you're excited but you're on edge mm-hmm. so music has been huge and also with Bad Acid and lighting lighting yep. um, and Bad Acid music was such a yeah. major part of it from like the second I think that's so important and as I've seeing movies more and more it's like uh, and just when we saw fishmonger a friend of ours film like by second three or four you need to know what the tone is or else yeah you're it's out. over yeah you're out you know yeah um so yeah that's cool what about you um well i just like to point out first that <clears throat> even though sam's film made me like just <laughs> viscerally upset uh <laughs> It, uh, I really loved Good. how right away you just get, uh, to me, you get thrown right into the main character's like psychological state. So it's, to me, it wasn't so much, oh, here's a make-believe world, but it's more like this is kind of through her point of view like directly uh, and her fucked up just perception mm-hmm. of reality, which I really enjoyed. But the rest of it, me <laughs> Thank angry. you, I hate you. I'm so angry <laughs> about everything. Um, <clears throat> with, <laughs> that's what we're looking for. We're looking for strong reactions either way. Sign of a good, good. film. Very good. supportive. Very supportive body. A group here. Yeah. All right. Continue. Um, yeah. With me, this is only my second short I've done professionally, but I still write a lot. Most of what I write ends up just in a graveyard. But um, <clears throat> oh, you mean like. It's yeah, thrown out. I didn't know. Like you start everything, and if that hard drive fails, this you know, because I don't back shit up. Right. Um, my last short was a little bit more intentionally like over the top comedy. So the characters were I wanted them to be a little larger than life, but not quite into cartoon care like territory. But uh, with this one, I was more grounded. So I and it's a lot more like. <clears throat> more of the stuff that I've written. So I would say that for me, the most important thing for establishing the tone is having a very realistic production design and great sound to start with. And then uh, these characters who are, even if they may be absurd, like very believable. Um, my, uh, I think my most favorite writer is uh, Cormac McCarthy. He writes mm-hmm. these very dark mm-hmm dark stories but there are characters who do things that are just inherently fucking funny you know and it's not trying to be a comedy but there's just these funny people in the in the world um and uh yeah i love that shit yeah 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 yeah. that's cool man that's cool yeah uh, for me as a filmmaker i feel like um i love uh telling the audience as much as i possibly can without saying a fucking thing and i think that nothing makes me happier than cutting lines out of scripts because we've already delivered the information through visuals. And I'm obviously this is a visual medium for me. This is, I'm a visual storyteller. And so I've said this on another show, but I'll say it again. What I love about films, the only way I can sort of describe the first minute of a movie is like when you go to a stranger's house for the first time, 
And you walk yeah. into their house and you're like, smells weird in here. Like weird choice of a carpet. Like, and then you look at their coffee table and it's just textured with like a, a blueprint of what their life is like. And um, I find that a big part of setting tone for me besides music and sound, which I love obviously, but I think it's also production design and I think it's texture. And uh, there's nothing I hate more than watching a scene where an actor doesn't physically have something to do and making sure that you're building an environment and doing the research and doing the homework with that actor. And if they're in a car shop, actually teaching them how to work on a vehicle, giving them something to do. So as they deliver exposition or they deliver dialogue, we don't really listen to that. We're actually more focused on how they're handling things and what they're going through. And I think that is a big part of building tone for me. It's whether or not the audience physically believes that these people exist in this space, whether it's crazy or not. I think that it's just important for us to say, hey, these are real characters. These are real people in this space. And you could be in this space. You could be in this place, which for horror, I think is really important because then if you feel like you can walk into that screen, then you can also get cut in half with that chainsaw. You can also have a fucking squirrel come out of the ground and shoot you with a laser beam. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I feel like it's also like really tough, especially like listening to both of them. Like when you have, when you're almost like, mixing genres or not even mixing genres when it's like absurdist but you also want to set the reality of it Mm -hmm. it's interesting to see how you are able to like pull that off in terms of like when you were saying about the squirrel popping up right like you you show the neighborhood and then the squirrel pops up that that kind of interplay between the two i feel i'm I'm always in awe when filmmakers can pull that off i want to like learn more about that because I feel like even sorry to go back to the whole Hitchcock thing. There's this movie called Frenzy where yep, great it's, movie. it's about a necktie murderer. But the, there's this whole bit. There's a side character where there's this detective is, uh, whose wife is learning how yes. to. Who's yeah <laughs> exactly cooking. yeah she's lear- she's a terrible cook and she's learning how to cook this new French cuisine <laughs> or whatever and. The whole time the, de- the, de- the detective comes back and he's describing this whole, how he murders them and how he's raping them. You know, like, it's like brutal <laughs> descriptions about rape, murder, and like how he strangles them with a tie. Yeah. And the whole time the wife is helping him solve the mystery, but she's serving up this awful food to him. <laughs> and, and, and he just, and the whole time he's kind of like trying to hide the food as she's going away. Like, she's like, you know, try this new thing. It's called a, a margarita. You know? And then he has it and he's like, mm, fuck this. You know? And then it's all in the face and it's all visual and all this exposition is being given yep. in, in just purely visual style. Yep. And, and yet we're watching a movie about a fucking rapist who's murdering people with a tie. Yep. So I feel like I can't wait to see your movies because I want to learn more of this kind of trick. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? So that's the hard fucking work. So when people say director's prep, to me, that's what that is. And I think that uh, when you first start making movies, you write down an idea, you write down a script and you're like, okay, so we follow the script, right? I find some actors, they come and they say the lines in the script. You know, I have to cover that script. So what are the rules of covering a script? Watch out, close up, close up, maybe a cutaway. Boom, 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 boom. And so when you start, that's what it is. And I feel like a lot of our content right now, that's all it fucking is. Like you watch stuff on the streaming services and you're like, that's all this fucking thing is. There's there's no voice, there's no tone, there's no world building, and there's no time. That's why it's called content. There you go, man. So um, the... 
the fun stuff with what we do, at least in my opinion, is all that homework, is spending time and going like how, all right, so this is, this is going to take place in the basement of this, and it's, we're going to follow a fucking janitor. So maybe I should know what a janitor does every day. And, and what is it like to sort through your keys and understand what, which key goes for every one of these doors? And what's it actually like to ring out a mop? How do you ring out a fucking mop? And then when you get that actor that's in there that has never fucking mopped a floor in their life, you know what I mean? You're like, guess what? You're going to mop school, man. And that's part of what you're doing. Yeah. Because it, it builds that tone. So instantly, and you find those tricks. If you're working with a great actor, they're like, they get the flip of the mop right. And they're just, pop, 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 pop. and you're looking at that going, fuck, this guy knows how to clean a fucking floor. You know? And I think that's what makes movies fun. That's what makes movies exciting for me. You can tell how fucking lit I'm getting on this. Because that... Why else do we? Are we making movies for assholes to look at on their phone and they watch it for three seconds and they go, "Oh, that was great," and they just sort of scroll along the Instagram? Or are we making movies to experience all these things, to hang out with the fucking guy that's mopping shit, to go have beers with him afterwards and find out that his hobby is cutting up animals and storing them in his fucking freezer? You know what I mean? That's why I make movies. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm meeting all you fucking weird people. You know what I mean? I'm sorry, I got real passionate about no, this real quick. But that's that's great. That's how I categorize uh, content from you know art or films, whatever. Uh, I'm like, oh, this is something that was made for people to watch while they scroll on their phones. Yeah, dude. Uh, and that's most of what is coming out now. And you know, with the whole AI thing with SAG and the WGA, I think we kind of like shot ourselves in the foot by, especially with writing uh is demanding that everything follow the strict formula this must happen by this page and this must happen by this i mean what a yeah that's a perfect way to you know establish like a machine learning uh kind of environment yeah um, yeah and stuff that has been coming out in the last decade all could have been written by ai uh no one fucking cares that they, was like that was they're my, like this is great uh yeah yeah, my big argument was like, you know who's the most pissed off about this AI thing are the people that write for fucking Law and Order. That should be fucking AI. Yeah. What yeah. difference does it make whether or not that's done by a computer or not? And and not the shit on uh, professional writers because they are talented people, but they're being forced into this uh, structure. You know, yes. And they have been their whole career. Uh, I'm sure every one of them would like to write something meaningful or... Yeah. Not have this happen by page 20 right before the first act break and toothpaste commercial. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. Now let Fuck me tell off. You about, they don't sponsor us. <laughs> now let me tell you about Squarespace. Yeah. It's where I... God damn it, another free where ad I created read. my website. <laughs> another free ad read. Uh, so, um, yeah, dude, I completely agree with you. And there's this... This is, I'm happy to hear it because I feel like I'm an old man sitting on a fucking porch just screaming at a kids right now and just going, I can't believe you like this shit. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that this is what we're watching right now. Yeah, I feel like a little bit of, un, you know, the unpredict unpredictability of cinema and stories in general is what we want. Like, I'm, I'm developing a uh, feature based on this uh, short that I did called The Pay. And um, that's a social media monster movie. And the way I wanted to do the feature is I wanted to do it from different perspectives and almost do like a Rashomon kind of thing where yeah. you don't know who's lying and who's telling the truth because it has like fake news and all that stuff in it. So you don't know what narrative is the right narrative. So in one scene, the same scene being repeated, there'd be a blue car. 
the second time we show that scene, there'll be no car. Mm. So you don't know who's lying. But I'm do, you know, developing it with the producer now, and they're like, can we just, just make the fucking ring? It trust me, dude. It trust me. You and I have a lot. I, okay, let me ask. Have you guys dealt with uh, production companies and getting something developed with, with a production company and producers? Yeah. 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 Not yes. not not to the finish line because yeah uh, yeah, yeah yeah I don't conform. Yeah, exactly. So th- th- that's why I bring this up because I, I'm in the same boat. So I feel like we all are in the same boat because I feel like. Uh, what we do, what we play in is a cash cow for a lot of studios. It's like lottery tickets for a lot of studios. And I think a lot of these production companies and studios are out there looking for a scratch ticket. And they look for us to bring some sort of imaginative thing or imaginative vision, or maybe you check off a box by who they need to hire at that point in time. And they come to you and they see our work, which we spend a lot of fucking time making strange and crazy and scary. Mm -hmm. And then they bring us into their offices and just make us the fucking ring. Or is your movie hereditary? Or is your movie uh, whatever the fuck else is doing really well right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but all those movies were unique. Like The Ring was unique to the time. Uh, Hereditary is unique to the time. Talk to Me is unique to the time. There it is, yeah. Barbarian. Like, and if you look at those movies structurally, they were fucking impressive, unpredictable, and fresh. And that's mm-hmm. what makes them hits. Right. And then yet you're like, give me the new Talk to Me. I'm like, this fucking thing just came out two weeks ago. Come Which on. is so fucking ironic, because if you know the history of Talk to Me, originally they were dealing with a production company on that, and the production company was giving them all those notes. Make it like this, make it like that. And they said, fuck you, and they went off and they made it on their own, mm-hmm. and then they sold it back to them for fucking more money. Mm-hmm. So, like, that... That's the way. That's the way, right? Yeah. Although, wouldn't it be great if we didn't need as much money as we need to make these fucking things? Yeah. Totally. Why don't people just work for free? I mean, come on. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> it would be great, because then we could make whatever the fuck we wanted all the time. And then cinema would feel fresh again, and it would feel new, because it would be strange and weird, and fuck formats, and fuck formulas. And I, I mean, I get it. If you're, trying, if you're trying to make $300 million... Right. You got to make sure that you're serving the plainest fucking pasta you possibly can. You're not putting any spicing on that. But why do we need to make that much money, especially with how cheap that we do make these things? Well, also, we don't make it. I know, that's the problem. <laughs> we don't yeah. get anything. That's, that's the other problem. They're like, yeah. here's $20,000 for you as the writer, director, producer. We're going to take $5 million. Yeah, fuck off. Yeah, ask Bob Iger why he needs to make that much money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I guess it's to pay his mortgage or whatever. Well, you need to put a helicopter pad on the boat, on the boat, on the boat. Right. You know what I mean? So, fucking... But I will say, I am the optimist, maybe, here. And I think we're at a crossroads, which is a good thing of like Quibi, for example, when that was all happening. When was that? Was that 2021? Mm -hmm. Like, that was very scary when I was seeing that as a producer of like, on exactly we were talking about the phones. Mm -hmm. And they spent billions of dollars on that. Mm -hmm. And it failed. Yeah, In COVID, when it shouldn't have not failed, when everyone's on their phone. So I think we are seeing, and with, you know, this year with, barbenheimer of like people want to be back in theaters yes and i think the pendulum is swinging of like not being because i'm fell into this too of just watching everything on my computer or watching whatever's on the streaming platforms now i want to be in theaters i want to see something different mm-hmm. and what's great with a place like film quest and i think what gets us all really excited is like these are the filmmakers that are making mm-hmm. the cool unseen 
stuff and there's an audience for it. Mm-hmm. So if we can find that sweet spot of like those one to $4 million movies or the genre budget per se, mm-hmm. like there's an audience for it. And with this amazing circuit, like here in Brooklyn horror and overlook, like there's an audience base to make that money back. So I, th- I'm very excited about this world. And I think we mm-hmm. have found our misfit place, <laughs> our misfit yeah. community to do that. Um, and I think these executives, and that's what's tough too with the strikes is like what I've learned more and more. They're not movie people like they used to be. No. It's not movie creators. It's tech people. Yep. So once they finally get it that like we're more than an Apple product, we're more than a mm-hmm. tech product, oh, there needs to be creativity involved, which I think is what the strikes are about. So I'm hopeful. I hope so. I hope so. And And, and to speak to... The theatrical experience, if Barbenheimer taught us anything, it's that we need to create spectacles. We need to create an an atmosphere and an environment that people actually want to be a part of. And it can't just be, hey, come watch this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also feel like the accessibility of these movies, being it's too easily accessible. The moment Mm -hmm. you tell me that, oh, in two weeks, I'm going to get access to a movie that I should have been watching in the theater. I'll be like, maybe I'll just wait. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll just wait for the two weeks. Like, whereas before you watch a movie like El Topo or something, <laughs> right? And there's a story about Steven Spielberg. Apparently, he made when he made E.T., he said he spent all this fucking time putting it such a big effort. I think it was like two, three years of his life. And then two, six months later, he walked into his friend's house and he said, I saw a VHS tape of E.T. sitting on top of my fucking friend's TV. And I was like, no. That is too easy. It was too easily accessible to this fucking mm-hmm. guy. It should have been a little bit more a rarer thing. So he apparently took it out of circulation for a little bit, which kind of grew the cult of it. Yep. So I feel like the whole streaming thing, which is going back to your point, is just content. And then the fact that we have to like churn out this stuff and even just watch through. Like I don't watch fucking TV shows anymore because I'm like, I can't keep up with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, dude, you're talking, I don't know if you guys know about my stuff, but you're talking to a guy my film 12km which was a proof of concept that i made years ago i was never going to release it to the public so it was a 30-minute proof of concept about a russian drill team all in russian i shot a movie in a language i don't speak which is crazy um and it was made just to be a proof of concept and that proof of concept then went out to all these different producers and ridley scott loved it and so it did its job so it ended up at scot free but um I was on the show, I was on the podcast, and people have heard this, but fuck you, you can listen to it again. I was on the show, on, and a bunch of my fans were like, how can we see this movie? And I was in a dick mood, and I was like, look, the only way you're going to see this film is if you write to me, send me your three favorite horror movies, and if I agree with you, <laughs> then I'll send you a link. Okay. Right? This went viral last November. It has been viral since. Every day... Every five minutes, I get 20 messages with people sending me their three favorite horror movies and asking to see the film. And that, if anything, just shows that people, A, love this genre, B, want to brag about how much they love this genre and what their favorite things are, C, want to be part of something exclusive. Mm -hmm. I have been trying my ass to respond to this stuff. I'm responding to people that sent me messages last December, now, and I'm responding to them going, I'm sorry I'm late. Here's the link, and they go, yes! And they're fucking excited to get the link. And they waited a year to be able to see that film. And if anything, and the reason I'm telling you guys this is that this is the kind of creativity that we should build with this scene. Because people will wait. 
and they love it the longer they'll wait and then when they finally get to get in there i'm gonna start selling t-shirts that actually say i saw the fucking movie you didn't you know like i think that's important and i think uh all these streaming services don't give a fuck about us as filmmakers we're never at the front of it i it's the scariest thing in the world to me to get something financed by a streamer and get lost in a fucking queue with Queer Eye and some other fucking reality TV show and then my movie's in between them for like one day. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's a nightmare. I'd yeah. rather have us building a whole new thing again with horror. And I think it's only our genre that can do this. I don't think there's another one that can. Yeah, totally. Like, I mean, I don't know what it feels like for you guys with the title, but I wanted to ask like Robbie and Ryan, what a great title. Like, it's uh, how do you guys come up with that to know that this is what is going to like capture the audience? I, I didn't uh, come at it from that direction. It just, it just sounded like a natural title, you know, for what was happening in the movie and the characters and the way they would talk. Uh, I don't know. And then I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool title. Uh, <laughs> You're so immersed in your world, man. Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. You just have to be true to the story you're telling. Um, I can't ever think about it from a what would people like thing, but that has to be a little aspect of it. It can't be just a total masturbatory exercise. You yeah. got to be like, are people going to want to see this? Yeah. Did you guys, did any of you see the, uh, we'll get back to that in a sec, but did any of you, were you guys here for the sales agent thing that they did? Oh, it was depressing. It was Sounds very, depressing. very depressing, but it's true, man. And they were, they were saying, uh, and we're, we're in a good place, but they were saying that so many young filmmakers come to them with a drama as their first thing, and they're like, you're not going to make any fucking money. Yeah. You're not going to make any fucking money. And so there's this level of like wanting to be pure, which I do. We, how fucking hard is it to find inspiration, find a good idea, find the talent, find the voice, right? But then there's this other world where we have to be co- like conscious of like what's happening, is there a, a specific angle that I should be taking? How is the marketing going on? Like this is part of our fucking thing. And as chefs in the kitchen, we also have to be the guy that owns the fucking restaurant at yeah. the same time. I've been surprised not hear more people uh, taking the or wanting to try the Jim Cummings route. I know not everyone's going to be Jim Cummings. There's only one of him, you know, and uh, people shouldn't try to be that. But the way they did distribution was uh you know they got approached by all these people who offered them basically nothing for a movie that won sundance and south by and wherever else and uh they just said fuck it we're gonna distribute it ourselves and Mm. they made all their money back within like a week of it being on streaming uh you know yeah i think it's because we're afraid of it i think it's part of that that pitch where it's like we do all this crazy we do all this important work we're the ones that know all the, 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 just just with what I was saying with uh, 12 cam I would walk into a room and I, and I had pitched them on uh, doing a specific horror movie thing and they'd be like well the audiences don't want that I'd go fuck you I have at least a million and a half fucking people that have that on their top three fucking horror film list <laughs> like you have no fucking idea you have no idea what people want you know yeah I think in the way that filmmaking was democratized by the digital camera becoming you know HD I think we're getting that way with distribution now because think of all these you know youtube personalities who get millions yeah. way more views and a lot of stuff that has you know deals on hbo and they're you know, they're self-distributing you know yeah uh you know i think that's the direction uh, a lot of us should try to take are you uh, gonna jump down that hole 
Um, I, I'm not scared to jump down that hall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good, man. That's good. But of course, you know, if you get a great deal, you should take it. But yeah, yeah if, if, you know, I'm just everywhere I look, it's just shit deals. Of course. Yeah. Always a shit deal. Yeah. It should depend on the situation. Yeah. Always. Yeah. So back to your question on, uh, on, uh, fucking nuts titles. Oh, how do I come up with the titles? I mean, like, yeah, for this, I mean, I love the title. It's, I, uh, I like a grand title. So I've got my, my repertoire is Unagi was the first one, which is about a girl who uh, eats irradiated sushi and churns into a giant um, sea eel. So pretty matter of fact, Unagi is <laughs> Japanese for eel and um, sushi. In sushi language. In sushi language. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell it's lunchtime and I haven't eaten anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the second one was Bad Acid, um, which had nothing to do with acid, but it was about a girl who goes on a trip by um, ingesting some uh, psychedelic uh, shampoo. <laughs> and then um, Fucking Nuts was kind of a tough one to do because it's very on the nose and um, no spoilers, but... Uh, I felt like it really needed the title that I, I went through a few titles and I hated every single one of them. And I asked a friend, like, can I do this with, um, without you knowing what it's about? And he said, yeah, try it. And it worked. So yeah, I just think go big. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, because now I feel like that's, that's a big part of the whole marketing pitch. Like you were saying, like we're not yeah. just a, cooks in the kitchen we also have to run the restaurant and i feel like when we think about both of those things it, it really helps with you know even even if no matter what it is a short little like yeah. micro short whatever just the marketability of it i i don't know i personally believe that that's the way to go yeah you know like if i could have called this movie my scary indian wedding if i called it the dowry i don't think anybody would give a flying fuck <laughs> no about no that. no i agree with you uh my brother told me to call it the dowry and i told him to fuck off and, yeah <laughs> so i Good call. just wanted to remind him about that yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah publicly yeah. And, and 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 i also really like what you were talking about 12 km because that's that's what you it, it's fun to like learn that process as well because that idea that it is exclusive. I feel, especially with shorts, or the stuff that we're doing, we can definitely play with the distribution model of how it gets seen. And 100%. I thought that, that is a really unique way of doing it. And you were mentioning the Jim Cummings way, like that also is, is very inspiring to see that you almost like, you actually drum up more publicity. 100%. Because you're the one of one in that distribution company, which 100%. is your own company. Yeah. Uh, what was that? I think Louis C.K. did a TV show yep. or something where yeah. he self-distributed it. I thought that was also another interesting thing. Yeah, because you get an email. You get a personalized email from Louis C.K. And it's in your, it's, a lot of other comedians are doing that now. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried if I get my personalized email from Louis C.K., but I do. Yeah. <laughs> but his comedy is, is definitely good. I don't think you're what he's looking for. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, C.K. Just, I'll, just I'll, knowing I'll his history. Outside. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I, I, I like... I think that audiences love to live vicariously through us. I mean, that's why you guys are all listening right now. Like they lo you love to be a part of creativity. That's how you get people to work on your movies. That's how you get like folks in involved and invested. They, they want to do that. And I think a lot of people are scared to do what we do because what we do is bipolar. What we do 
what we do is intense and oftentimes just incredibly destructive, but also incredibly rewarding. And, you know, it's like being a fucking drug addict again. We're back on the street doing crack next to the highway in fucking Los Angeles. And, and people love to live with us when it's great. They really do. And I think if you can incorporate that into your marketing, and I think I have sent personalized emails to each and every person. And then when I correspond with you and you respond back to me, I will respond to you and to my fiance's fucking, she hates the fact that I'm on my phone all the time, but I'm talking to you. And I, that's important. I feel like. Yeah. It's a, it's a business. I mean, like if you listen to like, uh, what's his name? Elon Musk talk about how he's just on the whole goddamn time. Like he doesn't sleep. He doesn't, he lives in his office. I mean, I think as filmmakers, it's like the filmmaker is like the whole term. Like you're not just the director, you're the producer, the writer, the editor, whatever. Like you have to like kind of live it, yeah. which unfortunately is a shitty life on one side of it where yeah. your personal life kind of goes to hell for the most part. That's why you become an alcoholic, a drug addict, and yeah, yeah. you start, you know, all, all of a sudden you're uh, wearing a red dress on the corner of La Cienega. So I know what to look for you now. Yeah, yeah. So, it's a uh, Lancashire, actually. So uh, yeah, I feel like it, that it's it's tough. It's it's a it's a tough kind of lifestyle, but it, it's I feel like you have to be always on, and especially. And I feel like it's a younger person's game, from what I've heard. Like as directors get older or filmmakers get old, I've always heard the jaded, like, ah. Yes, man, yeah. Except for fucking Scorsese. I don't know how that motherfucker does it. But. Oh, he's been jaded, though. Yeah. yeah I've heard some of his interviews. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, he's reborn himself. Not to interrupt you, but yeah, sure. keep going. Yeah. yeah, no, so I feel like, I don't know how you guys handle it as well, because, I, I mean, I feel it's really tough in terms of keeping that Instagram going, keeping, yeah. keeping, you know, making sure that you submit to as many festivals as possible and the right festivals that are going to, you know, going to actually get you play. And I feel like going on the festival circuit is our way, the short filmmakers way of doing that are almost like the, 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 you know, the so-called Oscar run, the campaign. And I feel like building that also really helps because I've had random people reach out to me and, and you know, they'll be like in St. George, Utah, be like, oh, we saw your movie at blah, blah, blah. And it played really well. And I was like, oh, this is nice. You know, it, it gives you the encouragement to be like, okay, I'm not fucking this up. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. Somebody liked it. Yeah. I, I, let, me, let me jump in real quick. I, I would say yes. But you're talking to a guy that hasn't, hasn't submitted to film festivals in years. So this is like 10 years. And with uh, 12KM, we, we made that movie. It's 30 minutes long. So f film festivals didn't want to program it because it was the, because of the length and so um i found that through creative marketing online a i got put in every major room every major uh, production company's room because they saw the clip online the truth is is that in our screenings here at film quest is mostly filmmakers there aren't anybody from james wan's company there's no one sitting in those audiences and the, the what they have they have staffs they have departments at their companies that they just go through the online threads they look for stuff and then they look at their stuff online so uh, film festivals really don't do that for short filmmakers then uh with what i did with 12km not only do i have people in utah writing to me but right now we're hot in india so i have hundreds and thousands of Indian fans. And now I've had hundreds and thousands of fans in Turkey and all over the place because of the internet. Um, so I appreciate this and I appreciate the film festival more for this. 
like the fact that we all know each other, the fact that we can reach out to each other and become a part of a thing, and it's a big thing. But I think as far as reaching audiences are concerned, I think it doesn't really do its fucking thing. Because let's be real about it. This is a great film festival. There's a lot of people here. But look at the screenings. There are not people from the street. There are people that walk down the street in Utah and look in the door and they go, what is this all about? And you're like, how do you fucking not know what this is about? This is Provo. Like, this is probably the coolest thing happening in Provo right now. How is it that you don't know? And it's not like Jonathan and the festival's d not doing the work. Anywhere you look, there's pictures of him on, on, on street signs and stuff all over the place. But I think it's just generally because most of our audience right now are just, because of COVID, because of everything else, they're locked in their little fucking bubbles. And they're so used to the streaming services, like a fucking trough showing up and just pouring shit in there. And they're, um, 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 um. and that's most of what the public is doing right now. So how do we change that? How do we get them to think differently? Because it's our job to do it. Because no one the fuck else is going to do it. And it benefits us. It doesn't benefit the corporations to do it this way. So how do we change it? Have you been to Telluride Horror Show? No, I haven't. This year was my first time. And it was... Uh surprising because most of their audience are fans and they come from all over Colorado. Really? Uh, and for every like filmmaker I met there, there were about 12 horror fans just there to see movies and you go to screenings and hear them behind you, like on their letterbox and talking about things they hated or loved <laughs> and rating things. And I was like, Holy shit. Uh, I want to go I? there. I want to go there. Yeah. And I don't know how they got that to happen, but they did. Uh, <clears throat> and they said it took a few years, but uh, I don't know. I think part of it is that's a place where a lot of people in Colorado would like an excuse to go uh, as many times as they can, but uh, I don't know. It, it was a different experience for hmm. us. Yeah, yeah. Like, even Panic Fest was like that. Do you remember in um, Brooklyn Horror at the karaoke night, we met that those two guys. These two guys travel around to all the different genre festivals, and I'm like, why? And they said because they love like horror movies oh, and they love so seeing cool. the new filmmakers and they love seeing what they're doing. They thought Ramon was like a celebrity. I was just like, okay, you guys, it's just Ramon. That <laughs> made you hate his, him even more. I know he's wearing his stupid sunglasses and he looks somewhat cool, but like <laughs> hang out with this guy for 30 minutes, you're not going to be feeling this way. It's I, usually the length of a cigarette. That yeah. that uh, I like his Deftone shirt. I think he's cool. <laughs> Thank you. I'm my own summer all the way. Yeah. <laughs> but those guys were so, those guys made me believe in what we were doing because I, I try to go to as many short film festivals or well, film festivals as possible because yeah. something good always comes, whether it's a new friend, a collaboration, um, the film Ride Baby Ride that we were talking about earlier. Um, I made that with Sophie who I met at Nightmares and then we hung out at Film Quest again. Uh, Joe Badon, who's the co-producer of Fucking Nuts. Um, we've been touring the same festival circuit together. Movie Maker Magazine, who um, invested their production services in Fucking Nuts, I pitched to them at Film Quest last year, and um, hopefully we'll work with them a bunch. So I think, you know, it is expensive, and it's really bad for your liver. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's so wonderful and so worth it. I love to hear this, man, because, yeah. you know, you're talking to a cynic. You know, so it's it's really nice to hear these things, and uh, I'm feeling it. You know, like I'm I'm back in the festival circuit here and screening and a bunch of different things. It feels good. I do agree with you though that there's a good balance. Like you gotta have the. I'm I'm really impressed with what you did with 12km. Like I mean, it's nice to see her like people in Bangladesh are like yeah, reaching out to you, but 
Back to you guys' point, like, you know, Telluride, Panic Fest, Brooklyn Horror. I was seeing a lot of the fans, like, or horror lovers, genre lovers there. And I feel like it's like a very grassroots level. It's almost like touring in some, you know, playing in some one shitty little bar yeah. in Provo. And then, next <laughs> to, and then next thing you know, you become the doors over time. I mean, yeah. that's like we become the doors, but that's the idea. Yeah. So doing a little bit of both, it's, it's like doing the live show and also having the online presence mm-hmm. as well. It's tough, and and like Sam said, it's really bad for the liver. I'm fucking hurting right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, you know, it's nice to see like random people when they come up to you and they're like, "I've never met this person, and yet they want to hang around." And I'm like, and then after meeting me, they're like, "Yeah, we shouldn't be hanging." Around. Yeah. <laughs> then they hang out with us. Yeah, exactly. It's really fun. Well, I mean, this is what we're doing with the show. Like, this is what the show's all about. And I think that, uh, you know, many of my fans are now listening to the show and they're all on the hunt. And I get asked all the time, like, what are you watching right now and what's happening? And and I wanted to get you guys on. I want to get all these filmmakers on because I feel like we're all the future of this genre. We are what's coming. And if you are, you know, if you're from our generation and my generation, there was a time where grassroots with bands and that was a big deal and you would sort of tour around and do that. And you're right. This kind of feels that way. You know, it's the fucking group of you just showing up and already having a repertoire mm-hmm. downstairs. It's too early for me. I'm like, How, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> but uh, I love it, man. I love I love you guys. And it, it, it's it's great to meet you. And I feel honored to be screening with you guys. And I feel honored to be in the club. And, you know, maybe I'll see you guys somewhere else. And you'll be shitting on me the whole time. It'll be nice. <laughs> You can so. only hope for that. Yeah, no, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we can't wait. Like, we're, me, me and Mike are in the same block, so I'm, you know, this is the nicest I'm going to be to him for the rest of the fucking time. Why are you so fucking aggressive? I, I just, it's just uh, the brown, brown people's thing, you know. Like, <laughs> we were conquered by the British for fucking two hundred years, so maybe that's why. I don't know. I'm not British, no. brother. <laughs> it's okay. The aggression stayed. I think it just stayed. That's why we have so many guns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. Well, I mean, before I go, um, do do you guys have any questions for yourselves? Do you guys want to talk about anything? I think we should definitely talk about what we're doing next. What are we doing next? Um, next? Well, fucking nuts plays today at Film Quest at 5 p.m. Yep. Um, And we play on Friday at New Orleans Film Festival at 9.15 p.m. Oh, hell yeah. You can find all that information at Sam Foxy Films Instagram or the other Sam Fox Instagram Um, some amazing thing that I got out of the film festival circuit is, um, a couple different, uh, independent production companies have reached out saying that they've seen my work and, um, they really like it. And if I'm developing anything, uh, features. So I just threw together in the last two weeks and a concept I've had for quite some time of, uh, uh, thriller, horror thriller about, um, art and, uh, Satanism and new Orleans and Mm -hmm. all that fun stuff, cults. And, um, and so that will hopefully be, be being pitched soon. That's called Moonchild. And yeah, just keep up with us. Yeah, hell yeah. I was just in New Orleans, by the way. It's the best. I did a fan boat. I did one of those airboat rides uh-huh. and held an alligator. And then the dude dropped the alligator. And so we were running. I have a video of it. I was running from an alligator on the boat. In New it's Orleans. my favorite city in the U.S. And talk about like your liver hurting. Oh, my uh, God, that place. Not Damn. only from the booze, but also from every deep fried fucking thing. Yes, the food is so ridiculous. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. What about you, brother? Uh, so my 
movie Robbie Ain't Right No More is playing here at Film Quest on 2 p.m. on Friday. Um, I realized I didn't even say what it's about earlier. Yeah, uh, let's talk about it. You know, it's about, uh, yeah, just a young girl. Her brother returns home from war and brings home a very disturbing souvenir. Um, <clears throat> and it's something we definitely want to expand into a bigger project. And this is basically a proof of concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank God it's not 30 minutes long. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but that's my biggest challenge is writing a short that doesn't end up being 30 pages or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to do. Short stories are hard. They are, man. They are. Um, we, uh, we just submitted to some fun October festivals and happened to get into pretty much all of them I submitted to except Toronto After Dark. That was our first rejection of the year, so congrats on getting into that. Booyah! <laughs> um <laughs> And we've submitted to uh, like everything, pretty much everything in 2024 from the big ones to the hotel convention center rooms, you know, just to try to get as many people around the country and world to see it as we can. So hopefully we get, you know, into a bunch of those. Hell yeah. Um, so it's, it could be coming to a, a theater near you. Yeah, to, those to a little, listening. yeah. To a conference room closet to near a, you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Awesome, man. I hope that, and you know what? Uh, I feel like uh, I knew about your movie just by the way we were talking. You oh, know? good. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's yeah. a good thing. Well, for, for us, um, because we just finished this movie about uh, two months ago, like two and a half months ago, and been doing mm-hmm. this festival circuit, doing Holly shorts and uh, popcorn frights and all that. But the idea is to turn this into a feature. And mm-hmm. I mean, I am having the initial talks about about doing it as a feature. And I mean, what it is about is basically it's about a, um, you know, in India, they have these, there's a superstition that if a woman is born on a certain day at a certain time, she's, and it, men, it can happen to men too, but astrologically, if you're born on a certain day at a certain time, you are apparently the first person you marry will be cursed. You're a curse to your husband and his family. And it, it could oh. even lead to the early death of the husband. And so because of this, women who would just happen to be born, say February 13th, the, it, horoscopes are a big thing in India. So right before people get married, you could be in love with a dude, be dating a guy for like 10 years. And right before you want to marry the guy, the family will come in and be like, let's see that horoscope. Weird. And then they look at the horoscope and they're like, oh, this bitch is <laughs> got this thing called the Mongol dosha which is this curse she's a monglik and so and then when i was growing up i would see this happen to like my like some relative or like a relative's friend and i'll be like during the wedding they'll have a pre-wedding and the girl was marrying a tree and i was really young i was like what's with her and the fucking tree and they're like oh no they're trying to get rid of this curse because it only happens in the first wedding first marriage so she's going to get married to this fucking tree this inanimate object pass the curse along they have a quick little divorce that is it's so like wild. she's going to be like the elizabeth taylor of fucking trees i feel like i dated some girls like this and, uh, and then uh then they'll have the actual wedding like two hours later with the guy wild. just so they get rid of the curse and i felt like this that's a good horror movie idea. Yeah, dude. So yeah. then I decided to take the curse, this whole, the Mongol Dosha Monglik curse, and I was like, but I'm, I'm a James Wan fan, and I want to I wanted have, I'm the fan of the ring. We want to do a demon. So I actually turned it and personified it 
as a demon called Smart. the Monglik. Smart. So that I could have my fucking jump scares in there. Yeah. It's, it, it, I, I said all this just to make this movie sound, you know, like it had more social commentary than it is. But I really just wanted to scare you motherfuckers. Yeah, I love it. I love it. What a great idea, man. It's a great film, I must admit. Thank Even though you, I Sam. hate you. Yeah, I know. It's, it's really good. It's, it's really entertaining. It's got the drum scares. It looks good. I loved it. Thank you, Sam. I paid her 10 rupees to say that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm definitely going to see it. Knowing your movie is on the same block, I have to bring a huge sack of tomatoes too. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Big sack yeah. of tomatoes, yeah, some yeah. rocks. I, I hand that yeah. shit out ahead of time. You can heckle all you want, baby. Oh yeah, Class. guys, guys. I'm I'm, a, I'm incredibly supportive. Yeah. I love all of you this guys. This is how we support. Yeah, yeah by giving each other. And stuff. then when you're off the show, you'll be like, "This, these people are the fucking worst assholes yeah. I've ever met in my Scum life." Come on, the earth. Good. Do no. not follow their Instagrams. Oh yeah. Do not. And oh yeah, and the, this movie is playing at Film Quest this Saturday on uh, at 5 p.m. with Mike's movie. Come home, and uh, we're in the uh, f- 10 years of Fantastic Block at the end, mm-hmm. so we close it out. So I guess they close it out so that you can huck tomatoes at me so that they don't have to clean the fucking screen. I was going to say, yeah, it's going to mm-hmm. be a lot of yeah. cleaning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll tell you this, my, my movie's better than yours. I haven't even seen yours yet. Now the gloves are coming mm-hmm. off. Yeah, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. just saying, I've, I've been pretty quiet about it, but I'm pretty confident that I, I'm going to kick your fucking ass with my movie. I think... I think you know the, ch- the challenge is on, baby. Challenge is <laughs> Mike, we trained on. you well. <laughs> Good, I'm in the club. I'm, I'm loving it. I'm no, no, loving we're it. gonna yeah, talk in- shit the whole time. This is gonna be a loud. <laughs> this is midnight madness at fucking five p.m. <laughs> yes. We're in Utah. I'm gonna go shopping around for some Mormon curse to throw on you, motherfuckers. Uh, I know they got one. I don't I know it for a fact, true. but I know. I just know. Probably Mormon, more than just one. The Mormon oh, yeah. movie curse. Oh, That's yeah. well known. There was one yesterday, parts. actually. What? There was there was some Mormon movie curse movie yesterday in the Utah block. Oh, fun! That was a oh, fucking great block, by the way. If you guys didn't see it, which one? Yeah, because I had a bunch of them here. So, did they have uh, Boxhead yesterday? Was yes. that in the block? She's yes. great. She was on the show. Yeah, that was a great movie. Uh, fantastic movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah like- and, the, and there was one called The Sacrament, which was great. And oh, then, yeah, yeah. And then uh, the circle will close or something. But in general, there's some Mormon curses. To your point, like. Go around, have at it. Yeah, I mean, I I know they produced some fantastic science fiction writers. Uh, you know, <laughs> Ronald D. Moore, who you know, he he did the Battlestar remake. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's Mormon. So they there's some good imaginations around here. So there's got to be some good curses. Yeah, when oh, they yeah. when they when they finally break out of the cult, they go a little nuts too. Like, talk about drinking with some ex Mormons. <laughs> Fuck, I'll put you. Yeah, out. I was in the Marines with a couple. Uh, yeah, yeah, that'll put you in the fucking. It's like, oh, oh cool. Yeah. How about some crack cocaine? Fuck you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it just goes right out. And Woo. to circle back at my point, you know, you growing up wherever you are, you develop these, you know, opinions or stereotypes about people that aren't really informed by anything except from what you heard. But when you meet them in real life, you're always pleasantly surprised. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you talk about the Mormons. Oh yeah. yeah. Everyone. Yeah. 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 Definitely. The Mormons are as an easy target as they are for people in this nice. country, which is funny. Cause a lot of them being Christians, they're like, Oh, you guys, y'all's religion is fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Without getting too far into that. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah some of the nicest people I've ever met. They uh, are. They yeah. are. Yeah. Being an East coast kid, I'm always like, what the fuck do you want? What's your deal? They're like, Hey, well, how you doing? I'm like, well, what do you want? Get out of here. <laughs> you're too nice. Yeah, you're too, too nice. nice. They also have the curse of Post Malone, I think, over here too, right? Isn't he from here as well? 
Post Malone? I don't know, dude. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I can't no. confirm or deny we, that. We gotta look that up. I would. I would. You could have just told us, and I would have believed yeah, it. I believe <laughs> it. From Provo specifically. <laughs> I don't or know. Maybe Utah. Oh, Utah so, or somewhere around here. That's what I, I. I thought he was at that party yesterday too. I was like, oh, Post Malone, yeah. and then it was just. Uh, it was just some guy. I gotta say. I love your voice. That's great. Yeah, you gotta do some. Uh, I love ads. your voice. It's, it's great. It's, it, 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 it's, it, it, it comes from my father. My father, my brother, and me. We all sound the same. They say, you know, when animals live together, they all start sounding alike. It's, it, sure. it comes from that. I feel like I'm like hanging out with a, a modern day Cary Grant wearing yes. a Deftone shirt. Jeez. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Yeah, yeah. It's great. You're Thank the, you. I'll you, pay you your 10 rupees after this. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for lunch money, man. Yeah, we, we'll have to split the atom for that fucking, to, to find out how much that's worth. <laughs> all right, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for being on the show. I've had a lot of fun today. Do you guys enjoy it? Yeah, absolutely loved it. Thank, it's an honor to be here with both of them. I can't wait to see their movies and absolutely fucking hate on it as well. Yeah. Some I dislike these people almost as much as I dislike myself, so I think we could be friends by the end of this. <laughs> yeah, we started as enemies, and we've ended as... Enemies. As closer enemies. <laughs> I am pleasantly surprised. I had no idea what I was in for this morning when we got started. So That's good. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm going to leave you with a little Halloween treat, a little typo negative. On the way out so thanks for listening to the episode and up uh, lots more on the way this is only five of at least 11 episodes coming your way so uh, i don't want to hear you bitching about how we don't give you shit for free all right all right guys i'll see you later Yeah.